The Power Trip is a proud member of the Kaiju Ramen Podcast Network. You can find more, more phenomenal Kaiju and Tokusatsu content at kaijuramenmedia.com. What's up, everyone? It is JDF the Green Ranger, and you are listening to The Power Trip. It's morphin' time. Lisa! Hello, listeners with Attitude. I'm Michael. And I'm Nathan. And we're continuing our journey through the Power Rangers franchise. In today's episode, we're discussing Power Rangers Jungle Fury. Quote a famous man, mistakes are always forgivable if one has the courage to admit them. And I personally have to admit um, that I was a little hard on Jungle Fury before we watched it. Oh, were you? I was. I thought it was going to be another ridiculously childish Disney season. I mean, we've had a few that Disney seasons that weren't. This is true. This is true. But again, uncharted territory and judging the source and judging the material before I have a chance to actually uh, digest it, which I admit I was wrong about Jungle Fury. Ah, uh, but you won't admit that you're wrong about other things. <laughs> Turbo. <laughs> Turbo. <laughs> <laughs> We've, we went over this, Nathan. We went yes. over this. Yes, I know. Corsets save everything. You know, I'm not gonna indi- I'm not going to dignify that with a with a response. So there we go. Anyway, moving on. Jungle Fury. We're talking about Jungle Fury, the penultimate season for the Disney era. We'll save it for initial thoughts, but I have to admit, I've heard that some people say that this is a sleeper season. That it's underrated and underappreciated. Like, really? Really? Well, let's, we'll see about that. I, they were right. They were right. <laughs> they were, they were absolutely, they were absolutely right. I, yeah. um, uh, I was very, very, very pleased with, uh, with our first, with our, with our watch through Jungle Fury, uh, solid, like, I was like, okay, so it's a solid, it's a solid, uh, introduction, solid, like two part, uh, two part, uh, pilot. And okay. So we've been down this road before because operation overdrive had operation overdrive had a solid, uh, had a solid, which by the way, if I sound a little odd today, I've been fighting off a little something, something the last couple of days, which I blame on operation overdrive operation overdrive made me sick. I'm just saying. (laughs) <laughs> and I just thought it was the monkeypox, but okay. Uh, oh, ooh. <laughs> oh, ah, ah, ah. oh, where'd that come from? Sorry. <laughs> I mean, there were a couple of monkeys in this show. I'm just saying. This is true. This is true. There were a couple of monkeys in this show. Uh, anyway, so Nathan, before we get into, because I want to, I have so much to say. I have so much to say about Jungle Fury, but before we do that, we do have some housekeeping items in the form of yet another iTunes review. 
And um, I have a little bit of follow-up from our friend Winja the Ninja. Okay. Well, I tell you what, since we'll, 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 let's read the follow-up or let me, let's, let's dive into the follow-up from Winja the Ninja first. And then I'll yeah. read the iTunes review. He was just sending me some clarifications about some of the things that we said in the previous episode about him. He said, I do not really have a team of people yet. I'm hoping to get a team of people together. You know, talking about doing, uh, restoring the uncut version of Time Force. And he said, actually, some of the footage that was cut from Time Force was actually American made. And then he even shared some, uh, some gifts that he had made, including one that he says, this is American made footage. So Saban actually had the Curex costume and made at least a handful of shots with the Curex actually attacking buildings. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there's also one that, uh, that he said is from time ranger, but they modified it because they had to hide Frax's Sentai counterpart. Cause he's not supposed to be there in time force. So they yeah. put it, they superimpose some extra buildings. Ah, gotcha. So it's, it's been fascinating having a conversation with him. These scenes do exist on the VHS releases of the show, which he has. Oh, and that's okay. where he got the gifts. Okay. Okay. So there is physical media that exists with this footage on it. At least some of it. I don't know if it's all of it. Right. Right. Okay. I mean, mm -hmm. and let me see. Did he give me a full? I think he, let me double check here. I think he may have given me, did he give me? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's got the uncut footage, huh? Yeah, it's from the episodes Worlds Apart, Quantum Quest, and Clash for Control, parts one and two. Mm -hmm. That's the VHS he has. Okay. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, I mean, I would love to see that footage. Uh, I don't know how, I mean, I guess he could send me the GIF or something, but I would love to see the, the footage. There are but comparison it, videos on YouTube. Are there you? Okay. All right. Well, yeah. I'll have to look that up. I, I was... Like we talked about last week or last episode, um, we uh, uh, we were in, we were really surprised that even the DVD releases did not have that. Extra yeah. And I asked him about that. And his theory, his theory is that when Disney bought the franchise, they misplaced those masters. Mm. OK, because Saban put the VHSs out after they had broadcast on television. Right. So. There you go. I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> I really thought that they had just restored it. I pro I assumed as much because they cut, you know, they cut a whole episode from reruns because they thought that ah, that's just that's just too much. And that's been you know put back into all the subsequent releases. But yeah, there you go. Well, thank you, Winja the Ninja, for your insight there. We appreciate any feedback like that, like especially if we if we get things wrong or if we miss something or if you just have some little informational tidbits to share uh, with us. Please, by all means, reach out to us on social. We're pretty I mean, we're pretty mm -hmm. active on we're active on Twitter. We're active in our Facebook group, Power Rangers Legacy. All you have to mm -hmm. do is just tag us and say, hey, guys, mm -hmm. uh, you screwed up. Uh, but uh, yeah, he also insists that we watch Time Ranger. Because he says it's one of the best Sentais. Well, I mean, I'm, there's no doubt that it. In, there's no doubt that it's one of the best Sentais. I just haven't made it there yet. Like I was yeah. going, I was going in order, and then I took a little bit of a detour to watch Bulkinger. Um, so now I think I'm going to go back 
and start watching in order. I think the where I left off was I finished GoGo Five, so I need to watch. Uh, I actually, I, I need to watch Time Forces next or Time Rangers next, actually, because I finished GoGo Five. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about that. But we do actually have uh, some more feedback in the ter- in the form of an iTunes review to read. Uh, and this one comes in from DC Maniac 25. The title is Love the Show. It's a five-star review, and the, it reads like this. Minus little nitpicks, I love the show. It's so engaging. Having just turned 30, I've watched every episode in real time. The only season wow, I... On- that's impressive. The only season I honestly have not watched in depth is Ninja Steel, but I look forward to your review of it. Nitpicks come from trying to condense facts and forget exact details like Haley didn't join when Tommy was in Amber. Uh, She joined in uh, Legacy of Power. I'm trying to remember who said that and when it was said. That's from our Dino Thunder episode. It was, yes. Quite. But yeah, I'm I'm trying to remember exactly who said that. So, um, uh, so uh, listener with attitude, DC maniac, uh, if you're listening, and I know you are, um, remind us who said that because I can't exactly recall because we had three people on that recording. And I, but anyway, I want to go back and and listen to that episode and find where we put that and where we messed up. So maybe we'll have to issue a small retraction next time. So, but thank you uh, for that feedback. We appreciate it. And yes, uh, we're covering a lot of material in these episodes. We're trying to condense things as best we can because we don't want these to be six hour episodes, (laughs) no matter how much our, how much our listeners have asked us to do that. No, 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 no. They just want five. Okay, fine. Five. We're still yet yeah, five hours. Five, a five-hour podcast. That's audio. That's you're getting into audiobook territory at that point. Um, so, but so yeah. Sometimes we do miss some things because we do actually have to. Um, we do actually either skip over things or we do have to. We do forget to input things because there's just a lot of material to cover with these yeah. with these seasons. So it's bound to happen. But we appreciate any feedback like this. Uh, Keeps us humble. At least keeps me humble. I don't know about you. <laughs> if Igor Ranger. <laughs> I mean, you've got two nicknames on this show now. Everyone got to hear Blue Streak Ranger last which, week. Which I still, at the time of this recording, I still have to release the uncensored version of my rant on Thrax. Uh, and what I felt, or actually it was just my rant on Thrax. It was my rant on everything about Operation Overdrive. Um, uh, you also got to include the part where I actually hit the button and had you summon the actual Dragon Sword. Yes. So there is a lot of little tidbits that uh, did get cut from that episode because one, we try to keep things family friendly and two, um, uh, we, uh, or at least PG at least PG 13. We'll say, um, so you're a little more PG 13 than I am. Right. We'll, we'll try. We try to keep except apparently for my weird thing for ladies in black leather. Now, Nathan, we have to stop objectifying the women. Um, can't help it when they're cute. I'm just saying. This is true. This is true. I mean, what? blue wigs, man. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah, <laughs> blue wigs. Blue blue wigs and corsets. Yes. Anyway. Quite. Uh, yes, quite. Uh, but 
yeah, th- thank you for that feedback, and we look forward to getting more feedback. Blue Wigs and Corsets sounds like somebody's metal album. You know, there's a lot of things we say on this show that sound like someone's metal album. Um, I'm sure that there will be a lot of things that we talk about in this particular episode that sound like someone's metal album. Um, I don't know. <laughs> well, well, I mean, the Sentai name, when translated, it sounds like a metal album. So <laughs> this is true. Anyway, we got well, we're not quite there yet. We got we other gotta, things to do first. We got other things to do first. So, Nathan. Yes. Cue the epic rock music. At a secret martial arts academy, three students are chosen above the others, again, to become guardians of the evil entity Daishi. But the disgraced student Jared is taken by as Daishi's vessel, killing the school's master, rallying an army of animal spirits determined to wipe out humanity so they can rule the world, of course. Our three heroes meet their quirky new master, pizza parlor manager RJ, who gives them solar morpher sunglasses to battle the onslaught of evil. Now they are jungle beasts with unleashed spirits, but they can't do this alone. More masters train them, and multiple unexpected rangers join their cause. Meanwhile, Daishi slash Jareth fights a never-ending internal battle. Power Rangers Jungle Fury, sponsored by Oakley's. I know we're kind of jumping ahead, but this is actually one of the coolest morphers I've seen. I love this is, these. This is true. All I'm saying, I'm making an observation because they are, it's an incredible, it's, it's, it's a fun way to morph and it's unique. Um, let's just open up and talk about what our first impressions are of Power Rangers Jungle Fury. I don't know if it was a, as big of a surprise as SPD, Yeah, but it was still a bit of a surprise. I have to say. I agree. I agree. I, uh, because, uh, I, knew that SPD was good. I had always, I'd heard consistently from other fans that SP, SPD was good. It was a great season. Um, it was one of the few highlights of the Disney era. Now I, there is a contention. There is a content, a contingent of the fan base that really loves power Rangers, jungle fury. The reactions to it are a little mixed to be honest, uh, but it's, cons- but I've always, uh, but I've consistently heard from other fans, especially since we've started, inter- we've started interacting, uh, more with the Ranger fan base online that they view this as a sleeper season. Yep. And unfortunately- Disney brain on YouTube says the same thing. He actually says jungle fury is one of his favorites. Mm-hmm. And I can see why someone would view this as a sleeper season because it's wedged in between one really terrible season and one, what it would, one supposedly excellent season. <sighs> You're just not going to let that go. Are you? What? I'm just I'm just saying I'm, it's been it's been two years since I've watched RPM. Anyway, I back on track. Fine. Whatever. That's next time. That's next time. Don't get me started, Nathan. Jeez. Anyway, back on track. Um, back to action. <laughs> Wrong season. <laughs> Wrong season. Wrong. Season. Yeah. But anyway, you were saying, I mean, we've heard from this. We had a couple of podcast friends. Well, one in particular who actually, oh, he, he fancies himself a film snob. And he's like, I like Jungle Fury. I like it quite a bit. Yes, quite. And we're like, really? You? And then we, uh, and then we watch it like, oh. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, it's, it's really good. Uh, I, I really wish that the guys from Monsters vs. Men could have joined us for this one because I, I did find out that this is Eric's favorite season. Um, which for good reason, he probably like, I think Theo, his, his son really likes this one. And that doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise me at all. And the thing that, the thing that's, I found the most surprising is that on the surface, you just think it's going to be another animal themed Mm -hmm. ranger show, but it's, that's the surface level theme. The Mm -hmm. act, I think the motif, I should say the, the actual motif that I think they're really basing it on and the animal stuff is just, like I said, it's just the a vehicle for that appearance. is a vehicle for it's a, the animal stuff is just a vehicle for martial the, arts for the, for the martial arts theme that they're yeah. actually and, going with. Yeah. And by that, I mean like martial arts movies, you know, uh, which we'll, you know, we'll get into that because some of these Rangers have incredibly recognizable fighting styles that, you don't typically see in Rangers, let alone in just, I would say, just media in general. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them. They're more prominent now, but at the time, they weren't. So we'll get into that as we go. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. I was uh, pleasantly surprised whenever I watched Jungle Fury. You and I watched the premiere together. Uh-huh. Um I don't think we didn't watch any more episodes after that. Just we tried, but we it tried to work out. Yeah. The schedules didn't line up, uh, but we did watch the premiere together and you and I both were very pleasantly surprised by what we saw. Yeah. Um, and what we experienced with those two episodes, because those, the, the premiere episodes for jungle fury are a little bit unconventional. Yeah, they are. It, are, it, in many ways, it reminds me of Ninja storm. It's, know, yeah, it, it's kind of the how is it? It's kind of the it's kind of like if you combine Ninja Storm and Dino Thunder and then threw in a little bit of Wild Force. We don't talk about Wild Force. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm trying to make that a thing, but apparently it's not going to be OK. <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's. um if you took, like you said, if you took Ninja Storm, Dino Thunder, and a little smattering of Wild Force and put them all in a blender, this is what you would get. But here's the fun. Here's the thing. This feels like such this feels like a such an uh, an incredibly focused season out than say than Wild Force. Wild Force was just yeah. all over. Wild Force was yeah. all over the place. Let, let's just put it like this. One of the things that we have been talking about frequently as we've been watching Jungle Fury is we're already thinking about our ranking for the Disney era and Jungle Fury is fighting really hard to cement a place in the top three for both of us. Right. Yeah. That. Yeah. Just to give a little just to give a little peek behind the curtain. I'm um, I'm really having I'm, I'm having trouble right now deciding whether I want jungle fury or dino thunder to be in that number three spot to be in that number three spot. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, a little bit of background here already hinted at it. So the Sentai this is based on is Jukin Sentai Geki Ranger, which here's your metal album (laughs) translated. It means beast fist squadron, fierce spirit ranger. Yes. Beast fist. 
Beast Fist. That, that that sounds like a metal band, right? It that does is, sound like a metal yeah, band. Beast I Fist. I mean, there was a metal band back in the eighties just called Fist, and it was an acronym. I don't know what it stands for. Well, then you have. Well, you also have Five Fingered Death Punch. So there's yeah, Five Fingered Death, that Death Punch, which sounds which sounds like a martial arts movie title, and yeah, mm-hmm. which we'll get into a little bit here. There's the martial arts movie influence is definitely prominent in this. Yeah, and this season was the brainchild of producer Sally Campbell. And she came up with this to try to adapt a lot of the Asian elements from Geki Ranger, things like the dojos and the Pai Shua Academy. Pai Shua is made up, just so you know, completely fictional. However, Campbell came up with it by combining a lot of different martial arts things like meditation techniques and stuff from Kung Fu and karate. And they borrowed a lot from White Tiger Kung Fu. Ooh, okay. Just like Geki Ranger. Okay. Which... And White Tiger Kung Fu teaches, uh, part of its teachings involve animal spirits. Mm-hmm. Bruce Kalish actually came up with the idea for RJ, our, well, one of, uh, he's our most prominent mentor, we'll say that, to operate out of a pizzeria in contrast to the quote-unquote imposing command centers of the past. Right. And they had the... the set designers intentionally made the upstairs trading room show how strange and quirky he was. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, to say strange, yeah, strange and quirky is an understatement. Yeah, which we'll get into that. By the way, speaking of RJ, fun little fact, David de Latour, I hope mm-hmm. I said that right, auditioned to be Tizon. Oh, he would have probably made a better, he probably would have made a better Tizon. Tizon would have been really different if it was him. It would have been. It would probably would have been better, uh, most likely better, uh, because this guy is is a phenom- He's he he's phenomenal at playing the character. He looks as though he actually knows martial arts. So he's in the same vein as I would say, like a Tommy Oliver and and some of the others yeah. that actually know martial arts and can do their own stunts in that in that fashion. Um, because I I really enjoyed RJ. Like, yeah. I think it, RJ is arguably look, my favorite character from this. Yeah. It, look up pictures of this guy now, like on the Ranger wiki. He looks like he could murder you three ways from Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's got a goatee and everything now. I'm like you are kind of scary. I'm just... <laughs> but speaking of that, Nikolai Nikolaev, I hope I said that right. He played Dom. He did uh, his own stunts. Oh, interesting. I like it when people, I like it when our Rangers do their own stunts. I think that's, yep. I think that and then uh, some it. other interesting things about the actors here. So Bede Skinner played mm-hmm. Jared. He was fresh out of college with a pharmaceutical degree. Wow. And okay. this was his first acting gig. Okay. I mean, okay. I, I, another, another really solid acting performance, though. Although he does not strike me as, I'm fresh out of college. <laughs> no, he, he does not. Uh, he looks mm-hmm. a little, he looks a lot older. I'm not this, I'm not trying to be mean, but he does look a lot older than the rest of our cast. He does. And he does. Uh, I'm going to go out of order here a little bit, but the, the spirit rangers, oh boy, the spirit rangers. There's a lot of rangers. They actually came about when Jackie Marchand was having a meeting and she pitched this idea because she didn't want to do more motorcycle toys. Oh, Okay. All Speaking right. of which, there are technically eight mentors this season, which is the most of any Power Ranger season. Uh-huh. And 
here's a weird one for you. This is the only series to have Rangers who don't interact with their predecessors or their direct successors. So because they don't come back in RPM. Right. And the only one of them that ever comes back apparently is Casey, our Red Ranger. He shows up in Megaforce. Because, of course, he shows up in Megaforce. Poor Casey. <sighs> anyway. <sighs> and, good Lord, here we were thinking that, the, thinking that we had something really profound going on with SPD because of their one-word titles. <sighs> Bruce Kalish continued the joke. Now all of the... Now all of the episode titles this season are four words. And a lot of them are named after classic rock songs. Yep. The premiere's <laughs> called, Welcome to the Jungle! <laughs> we got swords and games! Anyway. <laughs> we got swords and games. Yeah. And uh, then you also have Sigh of the Tiger. <laughs> Dance oh. the Night Away. <laughs> I wish they had just kept that going through the whole season. Yeah, but, some of these, unless, but that probably would have been hard to do. Admittedly, and, considering they had to make them all four words. But you know, Cowboy Bebop, the anime, all of their episode titles, all twenty six of them, are either music references or uh, the titles of classic rock songs. So I was hoping that they would have done that with this. Yeah, I mean, I, I unless unless some of these uh, episode titles are just really obscure songs or really obscure references that we don't know, only I would say like fifteen of them, fifteen sixteen of them actually are direct are direct callbacks to a song or some kind of rock. Uh, well, let me see. Uh, yeah, welcome to the jungle side of the tiger. Some of them are mar more like martial arts movie titles, like mm -hmm. A Taste of po Well, not A Taste of Poison, but necessarily. But Dance the Night Away. Some of them are Puntastic, Pizza Slice of Life, Way of the Master. <laughs> One's a biblical reference, Blind Leading the Blind. I saw that, yeah. Bad to the bone. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Path of the Righteous, that sounds like a... That, that sounds like a martial arts movie title. Spoiler mm. warning. That's my favorite episode of the season. I mean, it is. A, it's a, those two, those, those two, actually, those two, those two episodes that preceded the finale are really good. Mm, I have opinions about the, about the finale, but I we'll said get the two that. episodes that preceded the finale. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or to earn your stripes. Yeah. That one was pretty good too. One last thing that I need to mention because this is going to be, this is the big one that we're going to have to discuss frequently throughout this episode. This show was affected by the Writers Guild strike of 2007 to 2008. Because Wait. the main writers, Bruce Callis, Jackie Marchand, and John Telegen were all part of it. Right, and I think the rumor is that um, uh, Bruce Callis still wrote a lot of those episodes, but he wrote them all under pseudonyms. Yeah, but the, there's definitely a point where you can tell that they were starting to rush. You know, like, like if you have the DVD set of this from Shao Factory, basically all of disc three were the episodes that were affected by the writer's strike, and there is a noticeable, shall we say, difference in quality, which... 
we'll get into. It's the it's the entire if you have the like you said, if you have the Shout Factory discs, it's the entirety of disc three and I think two episodes into four. Yeah. Yeah. Which we'll get into. So that's something to keep in mind. Now, I will confess there is a noticeable difference in quality, but it isn't as bad a difference as you would have thought. Well, when we were talking about the writer's strike, I was a little bit scared because I was like, oh, no, I've, I've been really enjoying the, I've been really enjoying this season so far. Please show don't disappoint me just because of bad timing. Um, I'm going to say that it wasn't that bad. You can tell. You can tell that there were some hiccups and things felt rushed and there was some probably some some um, maybe some behind the scenes uh, disagreements and sensibilities and of how to write certain characters, namely uh, Jared and Daishi. Um, but and Dom, I would say, because that's when Dom showed yeah, up and, and Dom, yeah, we'll and get Dom. into that. Yeah, but I was I'm just going to say that I don't think it was affected as much as I was afraid it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah, but like I said, we'll get into it. So first off, in the patented power trip <clears throat> format, we got to talk about the theme song. I like this theme song. <laughs> I, you know, I'm going it's to confess. It's so catchy. It's incredibly catchy. I love it. It is. It is. It's catchy. And I still think it's a little too upbeat for me personally. Oh, I think yeah. it works. But. I think it works. I, I really, I, I really and truly think it works for the tone of this season. Um, uh, I'm a little on the fence about that. I mean, this, yeah. I mean, but this season, like, yeah, we have some really complex and think we have some really complex themes and things going on here. And you and the the music would could have used could have been a little bit more. I, I don't want to say somber, but a little bit more serious. But for yeah. what it, for what it I is mean, for what it is, I, a little, I think it well, works. Yeah, it's a little closer to, I would say, the Ninja Storm theme compared to, say, like the SPD theme, mm -hmm. you know, uh, along those lines. And I mean, but it does a lot of things right. You know, we've talked before about what we think makes a good Ranger theme song. And yeah. this one's a little expositional and it and a little and a little bit of an anthem, you know, and it sets the stage pretty well, you know, and it, it gives definitely explain, you know, uh, communicates the kind of martial arts nature of this, you know, training her to be the best that we can protecting mm -hmm. people from the evil Daishi clan. Yeah. You know, stand up for what we know is right. We will never lose the fight. Now mm -hmm. the line after that, I'm just like, really? Cause the line after it is Daishi go away. I'm like, what is he a cat? Are you trying to shoot him? <laughs> I mean, okay, come on. I mean, this is, it's, it is all of our Rangers are cat themed. Well, except for Dom and RJ, they're all, ca everyone's cat themed. Yeah, but still, and I, and, well, and Daishi's a lion. I get it, but I'm just like, really? Daishi, go away. Okay. Yeah. He's not, he's a freaking, he's a freaking crazy lion man, not a stray cat. They're just like, just get away. <laughs> come on. I mean, that, okay. li that line kind of, it just seemed a it's little fine. bit too goofy to me, but uh, it's, the rest it's a, of it's pretty solid. Again, it's a, it's a kid's show. It is meant to be. We have to we have to keep in mind, Nathan, that this is a kid's show. This is technically a kid's show. I uh, understand that. I'm just saying we've had some other theme songs that I thought were better, but this is far from the worst. And the, yeah, oh, this is oh, my God. This After is, Operation Overdrive, you can only go up. Yeah, Operation. Well. Yeah, I would say. Actually, well, because I'm going to I'm going to stand on it because I've heard every Ranger theme song. Operation Overdrive is the worst. Operation worst Overdrive. theme song ever. Mm, um, ever. 
Operation Overdrive is is hands down the worst. Second second to worst for me is the Mystic Force, only because it's just different. Uh, but I will I will say that the Mystic that's a very distant second for me though. Mis- Mystic Force is is really heavy in its own right. But back to Jungle Fury, I like the theme song. I don't have a problem with this theme song. In fact, uh, outside of say I don't know. Uh, Dino Thunder, the Mighty Morphin theme song, uh, Turbo, even Zio, um, uh, 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 shoot, um, SPD, uh, Time Force. Uh, this when I was watching through the when I was watching through on the Shout Factory discs, I would oftentimes just let this theme song play because it did not offend me at all. In fact, it kind of got me pumped up for the show. Not gonna lie. Well, well, there you go. Although I love the Zeo theme song, I'm just saying the Zeo theme song is good. The Zeo theme song is good. Oh uh, and I, the Zeo th- the Zeo theme song is great, actually. Um, and I'm gonna go ahead and say I apologize to Jack Hudgens, our friend G Man, for saying that <laughs> I did not like the uh, in space theme. Uh, oh my gosh, it's a red letter day. It is. <laughs> like maybe i've been drinking too much uh maybe (laughs) anyway but yeah there have been some really good theme songs throughout this franchise and i want to say that jungle fury is at least i would say at least top 10 i'll give you that it's not my favorite but it's far from the worst right right anyway now we got to get to Ooh, a big portion of the meat of our discussion, the Rangers. And we kind of have a lot. We have we, This is like Dino Thunder, where we start off with a core group of three, and mm-hmm. then more join later. Mm-hmm. If you want to get technical, we get up to eight. Mm-hmm. It's a little insane. Which I think, I think uh, uh, Geki Ranger had, all, these were all Rangers from, like they didn't have the spirit Rangers in Geki Ranger. They were just all Rangers in Geki Ranger. So they had a lot of, they had a lot of Rangers in this. Yeah. Yeah. But first we got to start off as we usually, as we always do with our red Ranger, Casey Rhodes played by Jason Smith. What is with this franchise and hiring people named Jason all the time? I like Casey. I like Casey a lot. Uh, in fact, he, this is the first time I, I think this is the first time I can say that this breaks the, the stereotypical, the, the mold for what we've seen as the archetypal red Ranger. I mean, he does have Casey does have leadership qualities that he grows into them, but he's not instantly good at everything. Well, I take, I take that back. I take that back. Wes was the same way. West was the same way. Yeah, West was the same way. I was most Red Rangers aren't great at everything, but I think this is actually probably I think this is true for both of us. I think we both had to grow to appreciate Casey as time went on. Yeah. He got better as he went. He mm-hmm. wasn't terrible, but we weren't necessarily latching on to him as much as other Red right. Rangers. But then once you get to, you know, those last handful of episodes Casey really comes into his own yeah he does I agree I agree I think Casey I think um I started to really like Casey after 
he became after he um well, I can't remember the I cannot remember the episode, but it was when RJ was using the basketball analogy. Yeah. Um I started to really, really like Casey after that. Yeah. Um, because he became like he started to really grow into his role. Like was as we first meet Casey, he was not the first he was not going to be the first choice to be Red Ranger. The only No, it was going to be Jared. It was going to be Jared. But Master but be- Mao said You've got too many problems, kid. Yeah, you you need to learn a little bit. Of, Jared needed to learn some humility. Um, Jared yeah, was it, very good, but he he needed to learn some humility. So yeah, uh, yeah. Ca- what's fascinating? <clears throat> what's fascinating about Casey is that on paper he honestly doesn't seem like he would be the best choice to be the Red Ranger. Mm-hmm. He's less experienced, apparently, compared right. to his two teammates. He still has a lot to grow into. Now we find out all of them have a lot. They do, you know, to learn. But Casey still seemed the least experienced. But at the same time, Casey's also the guy who is arguably the most positive. Once you mm-hmm. get to the back, uh, the back end of the show, he's the one who's saying, "Like we need to help Jared. We can save Jared." And his teammates yeah. are like, "No, he's a lost cause. Yeah, we just need to beat Daishi. Yeah." But, you know, and and I love his arc because there were points, and this is true of a lot of things in Dino Thunder with the martial arts teaching and the lessons that each of these rangers had to learn. Mm-hmm. But the most surprising one for me, because even I was like, why didn't he? Because there's a point where to complete their training to become quote unquote masters, they had to fight and defeat their you know, they're individual Paishwa uh, teachers. Right. And even though Casey does do exactly what his friend, what his teammates did, you know, summoning his animal spirit to defeat the teacher's animal spirit, they passed, but he didn't. And even I was a little confused. I'm like, why didn't he? I don't understand. And then he learns a really interesting, and I have to say kind of nuanced lesson. Mm-hmm. This is one of the most profound things I felt like in the entire show, which was that you know, in the next episode, the, actually, yeah, it was the penultimate episode. This is one of the several reasons why it's my favorite. He decides he's going to go help Jared, even though his master, Master Mao, tells him, no, he's a lost cause. He's like, I don't care. I'm going to go do it. Yeah, he defies them. He defies the master. He defies them. And he goes then his he own get, way. Yeah, and then we get to the end of the episode and he gets his stripes finally after he does succeed at helping Jared. And RJ spells it out for us. just like, a master does not ask questions, even if it means defying, defying what you're told. Yeah. You know, basically standing up for your convictions Right. You know, so if you know something, if, if you know what you're being told is wrong, you need to stand up for your convictions. That's yeah. what made him a master. I'm like, oh, my gosh, show. It's not often you surprise me, Power Rangers, with something like that. But congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. That one surprised me, too, because when I watched Earning Your Stripes, I thought, OK, so they're going to do the normal thing. They're going to they're going to let they're going to let all the Rangers be really good at this and earn their stripes. Casey may. Str- and, and what ha- and what happened was what I predicted. Casey was going to struggle a little bit. He was going to have some internal conflict. And but eventually he would earn his stripes. No, 
no, they said, no, they're like, no, you know, you're not ready. And I, for the life, I could not, um, I could not figure out what that, what the plan was until, until that next episode, the path of the righteous, which is probably far and away the out, which is probably the, well, not probably, which is the best episode of this, uh, of this season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, like I said, it's not often I'm surprised and it really made Casey's journey over the course of the season, even more meaningful. I think honestly, it kind of retroactively makes the previous episodes with him even better because now we know where he's going. Yeah. Maybe you wouldn't have known for sure because before that, I mean, the big thing that people talk about with jungle fury from what we've seen is they talk a lot about the villains and the villains are great. Yeah. I just want to say that the villains a lot are great. Of, a lot of, a lot of people will focus on Daishi and Camille. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is fine. And I can understand why I do feel like in some of those earlier episodes, the villains do outshine the Rangers a little. Yes, I agree. They don't completely dominate, but they do outshine them a little bit. And I do feel like that's because these characters needed time to grow and develop particularly Casey, because Casey is a far cry at the end of the sh series compared to where he was at the beginning. Yeah, I think it, it, it may be, it made me appreciate his character more because I, because we both know how he started out and where he ended up. And I was like, Oh, you know, yeah, I they was... kept, all his teammates kept calling him a cub. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like they kind of resented the fact that he was the Red Ranger and he was in charge because they're like, we're more experienced than you. Well, especially we're better at this. Well, especially our Blue Ranger, uh, Theo James. Yeah. Uh, played by a Algin Algin Abella. Algin I hope Abella. I said that right. Yeah. Yeah. So he definitely this Blue Ranger definitely feels that Casey is undeserved to be to be a ranger or to be in this position. Yeah. You know, I just want to throw this out there. I feel like Casey had to learn that lesson we talked about, you know, defying what you're told for the sake of your convictions because he was the Red Ranger, because he was the leader. He needed yeah. that extra lesson. Just want to yeah. throw that out there. Anyway. But Blue Ranger Theo, I'm just going to throw this out here right now. Just to get the joke out of the way, I think we've got a Justin situation here because I swear to you, he gets about six inches taller after he morphs. <laughs> Nothing against you, Mr. Abella, but you are a short man. <laughs> hey, what do you got against short people? Nothing. I'm just saying he looks kind of short. He, he's the shortest member of the team by far when he's unmorphed. And then when he morphs, he's as tall as he's as tall as Casey. I'm like, wait a minute. What? <laughs> and it's really just boils down to the fact that it the suit actor is taller than he is. Yeah, I I did not like Theo when we first met him. I thought he was arrogant, he was anal retentive, he is um he he's very like by the he, he reminds me a little bit of Kai. He from, does. Yeah, he's a lot like Kai. He's a lot like Kai from Lost Galaxy. He's very like by the book and disciplined. And it's and it's this is mm -hmm. the way it should but be. But I think you needed a character like him in mm -hmm. this team. You did. You did. And Disney Brain pointed this out. You actually did need you did need a character like Theo in the on this team to keep things to keep to keep things focused. Right. 
Right, because let's be honest, you know, if, if you don't, then the whole team could derail, which yeah. one of my, spoiler warning, one of my favorite lines from the show deals with that. Uh, any more you want to say about Theo? Nothing's really coming to mind, so let's uh, let's move on to our Yellow Ranger, Lily Chillman, played by Anne Hutch, Anna Hutchinson, who, by the way, does have a martial arts background. I feel like all of these have, I feel like all of these characters have at least some martial arts background, at least. Yeah, but she specifically on the Ranger Ricky is cited as having a very, mm-hmm. you know, a very extensive martial arts background. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Lily. Uh, I think she's a good, she's a good. Oh, and according to the Ranger Wiki, she dated Casey. Oh, after meeting on the show, she's a good foil for Theo who is, like we said, very straight laced, very by the book. Lily's a little bit more of a free spirit. She's a little, she's a little bit, uh, she's bubbly and very empathetic. Yeah. She's Um, kind of the yellow and uh, she's kind of a yellow and pink ranger archetype kind of rolled into one. mm -hmm. There's a episode where she gets singled out as being, I think she uh, basically believing the best in people to a fault. Well, but here I, yeah, because she gets made fun of for being too nice. But yeah. what I really enjoyed about Lily is her intuition. I really appreciate characters with good intuition, and her um her her you know belief that there is good in everyone. Yeah, that's part of that's part of that intuition she has. And I remember the episode, and the Disney brain pointed this out: the episode with Camille when Camille is in her human form, or well, yeah, when she's in her blonde wig face um <laughs> which i think is probably her actual hair and i'm just like oh my uh, pretty. <laughs> i don't know that thing looked that actually that thing actually kind of looked like a wig to me well, well that's neither here nor there though um but you know lily's intuition to to even after she found out who that who she was who camille actually was um she still tried to see the good in her and you, and that's when you get that really good glimpse and they've been kind of building towards this. So we'll talk about this when we get to Camille, but yeah, they've yeah. been, they've been building towards Camille, not being as bad as we want to be led on to believe, but Lily is the one who kind of, who saw that first. She and did. So, she did. She also, uh, this is all too common an occurrence. She has a, standing second Tuesday of the month lunch with Theo. Mm-hmm. And everyone's just like, come on, Theo, we know you like her. He's like, I don't. We're just friends. And even she's like, we're just friends. Not until the end of the show where he's fi- where he's finally where he finally just asks her out for real. He's like, can we make that a-, a date? And she's like, what took you so long? And I'm like, good Lord, people. <laughs> finally, finally. Why are you people? I will never understand. It's like, why are people so weird now on the show? It makes sense because you can create some romantic tension. I get yeah. it, but yeah, but still uh, they're good together. Mm-hmm. I just want to say that they're good together. Although is it just me or do, it doesn't seem, seem like Lily more actually all of these Rangers. Is it just me or do they really go like full tilt when they morph? Do they just go full tilt like crazy, crazy action star? when they do that because it's like they get mean 
and intense after they morph. Casey gets a lot more intense. Lily really gets more intense. Yeah, in in both the language and her actions, she's very. They're very very intense. But when they're in their human form, they're very kind of subdued and peaceful. Yeah, and, but then uh, they morph, and there's like, go, which, you know, that's that's sort of that's sort of what happens with um in martial arts movies. You know, a lot of a, a lot of Bruce Lee movies, uh, or a lot of um. Yeah, a lot of Bruce Lee movies, he's very calm and peaceful until he has to fight somebody. Then it's like, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> I've seen all of Bruce Lee's movies, I know. But it plays into this kind of kung fu martial arts mentality where, you know, they're calm and they they're calm and reserved when for the most part, but they're, but, but when they have to get down to business, they get down to business. Um, sure. but I really loved Lily's character. She had some really nice focus episodes. She's a very endearing character. I think Mm -hmm. she even talked back to one of the masters and helped him. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. She had some really nice focus episodes. Like when she went to master Fant and got the, Mm -hmm. uh, the, the mystical mace or whatever that thing is called. Um, jungle mace jungle mace there it is yeah um she got the jungle mace and and Uh, she's a dancer which came in handy when she was using the mace yep it was it did and admittedly i'm a little bit of a sucker for dancers but uh yes because you are a what is it you're a ballroom dancer ballroom dancer i was gonna say tap dancer but okay Um, i've learned a little bit of tap all right well all right um one thing that we did forget to mention about casey that i found this to be kind of interesting we get his battleizer really early. And it's not even really treated like a battleizer. It's he not. just magically gets a motorcycle out of nowhere. And I'm getting to the point where I'm a little tired of Rangers with motorcycles. Yeah, that's yeah, I would say that's probably the case with Jackie Marchand as well. I mean, she had to basically say, like, hey, let's not make more motorcycles. Let's make more Rangers. Well, it's probably uh more helpful on the budget to uh not have to do motorcycle stunts and things of that nature too. So. For sure. And honestly, this battleizer motorcycle ever felt feels like the most superfluous out of all of them mm-hmm. because I'm like, why is this even here? Yeah, it's, it, it feels a little unnecessary at times, but I do like this one. Uh, I do like this one among, among the, uh, among the ones I like, this is probably one of the top ones because it is a little bit, more understated it's not as it's not as big and flashy so it's essentially like he can summon a motorcycle and the motorcycle morphs around him and then it becomes armor for him as well so yeah yeah what uh, whatever at that point now before we move on we do need to talk about these costumes okay are we talking about we had a lot of talks about the costumes yes the mighty Morphin pajama rangers yeah, power pajamas. That's power what, pajamas. That's it. That's what we were saying. The power yeah. pajamas. I it's just these costumes, the default costumes, just feel a little bit off. It's because there's like very little white on the default costumes. Yeah. Now I, I I'm no artist. You're the graphic designer in this room. So I, so I'm gonna lean into you a little bit on this. My understanding is that white and black, because there's a lot of black on these costumes. White and black are basically considered to be virtually universal colors because you can pair them with just about anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, unlike other colors where you can't mix and you can't mix the, all, everything together without risking that it looks gaudy. Yeah. 
why and, but i don't know what it is about these they just don't look quite right but then when they get their power-up costumes so now so now i'm pulling a uh a michael with mystic force now i like the power-up costumes more than the default costumes mm-hmm. because the colors feel better yeah the color is more balanced and yeah. yeah, you have, you have a lot of neutral colors and, and some colors have now moved into that neutral category. It used to be just black and white. Now it's well, black, white and, and, and gray tones, but now it's black, white, gray tones, uh, beiges, um, uh, uh, like some like very dark blues that are almost black, uh, or have moved into that category as, as more neutral tones. um, the problem I have with these suits is I think, and this is, this is probably like a really, this is a nitpick and this is a, a personal. Preference. Well, and this, this discussion really only applies to the, to our core three. Yeah. The to other, the, core, co- the yeah. other ranger costumes are, I think handle this better. They are. And, um, for our core, when speaking of our core three, I think the problem I have with these costumes, and this is just more, so, this is more so a nitpick. There's no separation because with in past Ranger costumes, there is that separation with either a belt or or something, just yeah, something yeah, to break the core up. The three don't have belts. Yeah, they don't have belts. It's just like it's a onesie. You know, it's a power onesie. It's a unitard. Yes. Um, with with uh, tennis shoes. Anyway, I it is what it is. OK, um, I think that's the problem I have with this is because it's all one unitard. It's all one piece and there's no, there's nothing to break up the design. Um, but I see the benefit in it because they, because on their costumes, they don't have like diamonds or logos or anything like, well, they have the logo on their chest, but that's it. Um, but based upon, but depending on what animal they're representing, tiger, cheetah, jaguar, um, their the stripes and the design patterns on their suits match that. Now, I will say, arguably, Casey's looks the best uh, out of all of them. Yeah, maybe maybe Lily's costume next because there's a lot more contrast between Lily's co- Lily's mm-hmm. yellow and the and black. And hers spots. is actually two separate pieces. There is. She actually has a skirt, uh, whereas all the, we're all well, the boys. But it's more like it's not so much a skirt. It's just like a really long top piece. And then she has leggings that go up past the skirt. Well, it's kind of like, is it, is a, is the kimono? Is that the one I'm thinking of? Is that the outfit that I'm thinking of where it's kind of essentially just a, a jacket or an overshirt? Uh, kinda. Maybe. Uh, okay. yeah, there's a lot of different styles of kimonos though. Okay. Anyway, so that's probably not the right, that's probably not the right thing I'm thinking of, but yes, uh, Kate, but, uh, Lily's costume, she, hers has a little bit more contrast. Hers is broken up a little bit better. So hers feels more balanced than the other two. But what I was going to say before with them representing the different animal themes and the, and the stripes and the spots and what, whatnot, it kind of does reinforce that idea that they've transformed, that they've fully embraced or transformed into their animal spirits because animals don't wear belts and animals don't, you know, animals are just one, they are one pattern, one, you know, one uniform thing uh, in their coats. So it does kind of reinforce that. Does that make Am I making sense? It makes what? sense. Although, like I said, it only applies to the core three. Right. It does. The other Rangers look more like traditional power Rangers. I will say that I will say like the mystic force, the the default mystic force costumes these did grow on me over time 
But when you first see them, it's a little bit weird because it's not what I'm used to. Um, so, but they, they did grow on me, but their, but their jungle master costumes, I liked a lot more. Yeah, I did too. I did too. You know, it's the, it's a little more color balanced. They have the, the claw mark symbol on their mm. chest. So it's a little bit more like American superheroes and things mm. like that, but rocket launchers <laughs> rock. Yeah. Rocket ports, which is rocket, weird. which is awesome and uh, it, weird at the same time. Look, it's awesome and weird at the same time. And I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, before we get lost on that, we should move on to the gobs of extra Rangers, not six, just six Rangers, extra Rangers. We've got a yeah, we, had to, we had to change the cat. We had to kind of slightly tweak this category uh, to fit everybody in. So, yeah, it's nuts. But the, especially the first one we have to talk, we're going to park on this guy actually, for a while. Actually, I, I, let's I, I, let's skip him because I know we're going to park there and let's cover everyone else first. OK, and then, fine. And then we'll and then we'll park on. AJ. All right. So. The closest thing I would say we have to an actual quote unquote sixth ranger would be Dominic Hargan. Yes. Played by, we mentioned him before, Nikolai Nikolaev, mm -hmm. who is the rhino or white ranger. He's white. Mm -hmm. He actually has a belt. His costume looks like it's designed to look like a karate gi, which is a little odd. But, I like it. You know, you go that. with it. Here's my problem with Dominic. He, it's not that the character is terrible. When we're introduced mm. to him, he has all the elements to be a great character. He's funny. He's charming. Mm. He's sort of a, he kind of is that he is a little bit more of a free spirit because when we meet him for the first time, he's just coming back from backpacking in whatever country. Um, and it sounds as though, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds as though he was sort of running from his calling in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's my thing. It's like he shows up and they give him a personal conflict. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have a purpose. He's wandering around trying to find a purpose in life. Right. Okay, fine. But that gets resolved in about one episode. Mm -hmm. And then his contributions to the rest of the overall story are you know, because he had that personal conflict and then there, they did a kind of one or two episodes where he, they have to go get a MacGuffin, which lets him get his, his Zord and things like that. But then after that, his contributions to the story are, you know, Pretty the overall narrative are kind of minimal. minuscule. Yeah. They're a little minuscule. Yeah, I mean, he has one or two things that, you know, set things in motion, but after that, he's just kind of there. Yeah. Which disappointed me a little bit, and I wonder if that was due to the writer strike because that's during those writer strike episodes. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, it's like, could you have given him a little bit more? Yeah, could you? I think the main, I think the the biggest problem I have with Dom is we don't. Get oh, to, and and he has a thing for one of the supporting cast members. Yeah, we don't get to see him develop as much as say uh, the rest of our team members. Yeah. Uh, and his and his and the way he gets his powers and the way he gets in, like kind of integrated on the team is a little too quickly. But in a way, it makes sense because he's already RJ's friend and, and, and we're given the it's it's implied that they go way back. I think it's I think they even said that this is my friend, Dominic. We go back to whatever academy that they trained at and um. It just it's it he's he's integrated on the team a little bit too quickly. I think I'm with you. I wanted to see a little bit more conflict with him 
like answering the call to be the rhino ranger um or like because it is like i said it is heavily implied that he is running from his calling which is something which is which is really interesting idea that that other franchises and other things have played around with i just wish that dom's character was given a little bit more room to breathe does that make sense it makes total sense and we talked about that because i i know this is going to sound awful and a little bit weird i would not call him the worst quote-unquote sixth ranger no in terms of his actual character but his introductory story i feel like is the weakest one that we've seen so far. it's not as compelling yeah it's not as compelling even though and what makes it frustrating is that the ingredients were there to do it so i that that's what i'm throwing at the feet of the writer's strike i think that's that and some of the stuff with the villains, I think, is probably the parts of the show that suffered the most. Mm-hmm. And because even the writer strike. And what's what's really terrible is, um, Tizon in Operation Overdrive, his introduction and his and the way he gets integrated into the team is way more interesting than the way Dom does. Hot take. Think about that, Jungle Fury, when Operation Overdrive has a more interesting way to introduce the sixth ranger you might have a problem but that but i'm not saying that it's terrible i'm not no. say, i'm not saying that it's terrible because what you're you're comparing uh, you're comparing apples to apples like granny you're you're comparing red apples to green apples some one of which one of which is a little bit more sweet and more balanced than the other the other one's a little bit more sour um it's i i I think that because we talked about in the Operation Overdrive episode that the introduction of Tizon and those four episodes that focus on him, both in his Monster of the Week form and then finally his Ranger form, are probably the are, are the best parts of Operation Overdrive. So, and that's not ta- and I'm not trying and I don't say that and I don't use Operation Overdrive as a derogatory way to to talk about operation dom. overdrivers are a new punching bag at this no, point i'm not i'm not trying to i'm not trying to punch down on dom by using operation overdrive as a cudgel i'm just saying that comparing the two they are they're both very solid introductions to us to what would essentially be the sixth ranger um but one did it better. One was more interesting than, than just saying, Oh, this is my friend Dom. And he's, he doesn't really want to be a ranger, but we're going to talk him into it anyway. You know, it's, it, that's a lot more. It's, it's, it's less interesting for sure. For sure. But like I said, nothing against the character just suffered a bit in execution. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But I like Dom overall. I like Dom. Like I don't have a problem with Dom. I just wish he had more time to grow. Yeah, for sure. And now the spirit rangers, which the actual characters we'll talk about a bit more later, mm-hmm. but we have the shark elephant and bat. They start off again. This, this kind of takes a lot of the sixth ranger tropes and spreads them out uh, to different characters. So the spirit rangers are actually, this is an interesting concept. They aren't people who actually morph into the rangers. They're basically projections. Mm-hmm. of three of the masters yeah uh, master fant master swoop and master fit and so they're ranger projections they start mm-hmm. off as antagonists from uh from the villains and then after the 
hold that the villains have over these masters are is broken after they're rescued by our heroes then they join the team and occasionally come in and help out mm-hmm. which is a re- like i said it's a really cool concept and then they they also have zords so we can get more toys i mean zords out there <laughs> and it was we'll, we'll talk a bit about the zords obviously but yeah so it's cool and all it's an interesting concept i don't have much else to say other than that the costumes are nice yeah you know they don't necessarily have gobs of personality because they're just they're projections they're projections they're supposed to be spirits yeah yeah but i think i think i think the one of the most i think one of the most absurd looking one of the three is the bat i think that's the most absurd looking one but the one i think but the bat one is in, is an interesting design because it's got this big it's got the big bat wings and the embellishments on uh on its helmet I'm batman right but i'm going to say like the, the my favorite one is actually the elephant because you just don't you, we just haven't seen we we haven't seen really any of these except for the shark we've seen the we've seen shark rangers before um so that one well, the, we had mastodons which are kind of elephants yeah kind of but this is like the most elephanty and we had an elephant zord before right but this is the most elephanty looking that's a word i invented i guess uh the yes. most elephant-like ranger helmet and suit design we've seen so far i think outside of the mastodon of course um so yeah, it's got little tusks. It's got little it. tusks and ears, and uh, it's got like just all the accoutrement of uh, looking more Ooh. like an element. Um. So, but yeah, I, I, master he's green. Yeah, and he's green. I like the color green. I don't know why I'm talking in his face. I'm sorry to all of our friends, especially our friend in Scotland. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, around and around. What? No, Nathan. He told us that. He doesn't actually like us to do that. So never stopped you before. It has never stopped me before. All right. Anyway, moving on. I like yeah. the spirit Rangers. Um, the, there's not a whole lot to park here on because they are just kind of avatars for our yeah. Morphin ma- or not Morphin masters our pie, our pie, schwa masters. masters. Yeah. Yeah. So many, but masters. now we got to talk about, the, the quite possibly if he's actually probably a truer quote unquote sixth ranger compared to everyone else in well, it's this the, it's the time to- well i mean it's it's the it's the it's the dr tommy thing it's the it's the rain it's the mentor yeah. becoming a ranger yep so the wolf or purple because he's purple Ooh, and i do he's like purple. the color purple yeah uh, now which is funny because uh <laughs> This is something only I would know, but there used to be a local TV personality. He did. A, he hosted a kids show in the afternoons. He was a clown. His name was Happy the Hobo. Okay. And, yeah. And he used to joke after Mighty Morphin started that he was the quote unquote purple ranger because there wasn't a purple ranger for years. And then finally they made a real purple ranger. And I'm like, I hope that. Because there were several people who played the character. I'm like, I hope the guy who made that joke, I hope he saw that and was like, ha, I was the first one, but whatever. So Robert James RJ, played by, we mentioned him before, David de Lautour, mm. quite possibly my favorite character in the show. 
Yeah. Oh, I, I think, I think RJ is a lot of people's favorite characters. Uh, can I call him RJ Miyagi? I, just <laughs> I mean, sure. I mean, I like RJ. I like RJ because he's a little quirky. He's like, a little, he's a little quirky. Um, he's just, he's just kind of like, he, he's just like granola loving. Like what you would see is like this granola loving stereotypical hippie. Like, yeah, bro. You know, he's like, but he's, he's kind of goofy and he can't. And when you first meet him, it's like, really guys, like I'm supposed to take this guy seriously. But then what's really interesting. He, he does sprinkle in these little, these little, little things of wisdom, these little nuggets of wisdom throughout the entire series. And it's like, Holy crap, RJ, you're not really an idiot. Uh, he's, he's just quirky. He's just quirky. Yeah. But I he, like- uh, he's, uh, he earned, uh, he earned, he earned master status. We can tell uh-huh. that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And he has a very recognizable fighting style. This, uh, Muay Thai is what Muay we determined. Thai, yeah. Which is from Thailand. For those who don't know, it's from Thailand. It's primarily, well, I wouldn't say primarily, a lot of it's based on kickboxing. And there's a lot of elbow and knee strikes. Mm. And it has a very, like I said, a very recognizable sense. A lot of MMA fighters use it. Mm. And thank you to, uh, also, thank you to our friend from Scotland, uh, back on the underscore grid for pointing this out to us, that he has, like, his morpher is a bell. Because in the Sentai, he rings the bell uh, to morph. And it's less prominent here, but... Uh, at, when I looked at it a little bit closer, I could see the bell and I was like, oh, that's really mm-hmm. cool. Like it, it plays more into the Muay Thai uh, mm-hmm. aspect of this. And there's mm-hmm. one thing that you and I talked about, just kind of talking about the design of the suit for just a, for just a minute. Um, his, he, he looks like he's wearing shorts. Yeah, um, uh, there's a design on his costume that looks like shorts. It looks like shorts. What, you know, a lot of Muay Thai fighters will do that. He has designs on his forearms that look like bandages and mm-hmm. also on his ankles, which is another Muay Thai thing. Well, his uh, his gloves, like his 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 gloves look like the band are meant to look like bandages, I think. And he's got um, the he's got some embellishments on his on his bicep area, his shoulder area that just look like like uh, wrap around like the wraps that some Muay Thai yeah. fighters will have, but there, cause there's just a lot of interesting little design elements with this. And I like RJ's costume. I do. Yeah. And I like RJ in general. I love RJ. Yeah. And he kind of gets several different, actually he kind of embodies a lot of the six Ranger tropes. He's the mentor who becomes a Ranger. So right. looking at you, Tommy Oliver and Kruger, but he also was an antagonist because he turns into a werewolf. That looks like a furry costume. We'll forgive it. <laughs> Cause it's Sentai. I think that's, I think I was gonna say, I think that's the Sentai costume. Yeah, it looks, it doesn't quite work, but you know, you'll, you'll we live with it because his animal spear was going out of control and he turned into a werewolf basically. And I almost would have a couple of times. I almost would have rather them just do that in CG and just try to do it that way. Uh, I think that would have been this time that might have been hard to do. Maybe, but I'm just, well, this was 2008. Right. This is 2007, 2008, 2007, 2008, whatever. Uh, I mean, it couldn't be that hard to do. It just probably wasn't in the budget. I'm just saying that I kind of wish that I kind of, 
I kind of wish that that they would have done that in CG, but if they would have done it in CG, we wouldn't have gotten that really interesting fight between RJ in his human sp- his human form and his animal spirit in like this dream realm or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And I will give them credit. They actually did convince me because there was an episode that centered around this. They did convince me that he actually was going around hurting people because he mm-hmm. would in true werewolf tradition, he would just kind of wake up in the morning. It's like, what the heck happened? Yeah, he, and he, would, he would wake up in random about places. People getting, yeah. And then yeah. he would hear news reports about people getting hurt by a creature the night before. I was convinced it was actually him, but it was actually the monster of the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they duped us a little bit. Yeah, again, I don't often get fooled by Power Rangers. Nice job. Yeah. Yeah, Power Rangers has this. Power Rangers has this way, uh, and I guess it's, it it speaks to it just being supposed supposedly being a kid supposed to being a kid show. It, they do have this thing. They have this way of like projecting a little bit too hard about things that they're going to be doing. Uh, although I will praise, I will I will praise Operation Overdrive for one for one thing, and that is the fact that. Um, the fact that our red ranger was an android i did not actually see that coming but looking back but on that's it, because like, it's terrible but looking back on it i'm like oh well now all that all those little things made a whole lot more sense now okay um that was a terrible plot but yes we I'm don't w- talk about operation overdrive yeah that's one we probably should sing the song for uh jr we still need that sound clip um so RJ, so yeah, that the whole werewolf, the, the werewolf story arc, uh, was across like what, three or four episodes. Yeah. It, it, it did was, have, it did have me fooled. It did. Yeah. And him actually becoming a ranger, there was some nice buildup to it. And, you know, cause he had to work on his own issues. His dad is one of the Paishwa masters and they, they aren't necessarily estranged, but they don't get along on some things because he didn't quite become what his dad wanted him to be and like a lot of martial arts masters he has you could say humble circumstances he's a pizzeria manager yeah which is just kind of funny yeah which is not running a dojo or anything he's running he's, a pizzeria he's living uh he's not he's not living up to his fullest potential in 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 his dad's opinion yeah yeah although it's kind of fun because uh, it was a jungle karma pizza which is a little bit of a weird it's a name. weird name for a pizzeria but i'll go with it yeah 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 it's basically the juice bar yeah essentially but so it's also where the rangers work so he's training them and he gave them jobs so it's 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 kind of like it, it's it's kind of like that successor it's kind of like the 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 next f- progression phase whatever uh, from dino thunder where it was the um, oh the cyber cafe the cyber cafe yeah the cyber cafe because the cyber cafe was a spiritual successor to Ernie's juice bar and I think this is the next progression from that I I don't I I don't mind this I don't mind this at all in fact um, I th- I pointed this out to you this is the first this is the first season in a while if not ever that we don't have our villains invade the quote command center or their place of, or their, no, or, they or don't, their, which is kind of their lair. It's a little odd. I, I agree, but would it have been more odd? Would it have been, would it have been more odd just to see the villains invade a pizzeria? 
Um, would have been kind of fun, actually. It would be kind of fun. Yeah, I get that. I like, mean, I, the villains invaded the juice bar a couple of times. I just don't think that there would have. I just don't think that that would have been um, base of operations. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Um, I just don't think it would have been as impactful as say. Like when they invaded the tree, the the outpost in uh, the base of operations for Mystic for Mystic Force, or um, even the command center in Operation Overdrive, or the command center from Mighty Morphin in general. I just don't think it would have been as impactful. Maybe um, I don't know, but that's just a sidebar. But and that maybe, but like I, I mean, I joked, but RJ is a lot like Mr. Miyagi from the Karate Kid movies because he has unusual teaching methods he makes the kids especially casey he makes them do chores mm -hmm. that what the, that they don't realize is actually teaching them martial arts techniques he makes them do what could be seen as like demeaning work comp yeah. compared demeaning compared to their status as potent as as karate masters or potential karate masters in training yeah, uh, paishwa masters paishwa yeah paishwa masters yeah. Pizza pie schwa masters. <laughs> pizza pie schwa. Come and get the pizza pie schwa. I don't know. I'm sorry. I yeah, but uh, which is I actually think is really cool because even I was was kind of sitting there thinking it's like, how is this supposed to work? Even despite the fact that I have seen the Karate Kid and I am watching Cobra Kai. So you would think I would know about all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, <laughs> but there you go. It, you know, it still works, and he has some of the most profound lines in the entire show. I was writing a lot of them down. A lot of them were in contention for for best line, especially when he's kind of mixing his hippiness with the martial arts stuff. So yeah. you know, just to give you an example of some of the ones that I wrote down that did not make the awards was you know, heavy. You're not ready for the growing ginormous technique. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's a little bit like, oh, that's oh some, this is actually what this one was some self-aware humor though. Yeah. This one was in contention. I really thought about this one. It's like trying without confidence is called dumb luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a, let's see. What are some other ones that I thought were really good here that I wrote down? There's a lot of RJ lines, mm. like I said. Uh, <laughs> this is a conversation he has with Daishi. Daishi says, "Tomorrow is another day," and R and then RJ says, "And tomorrow, and tomorrow, today will be yesterday." <laughs> Which he said later is like, "I like doing that to confuse my enemies." <laughs> he had so many good lines. He does. He did. Yeah, he, he did. And he, but as quirky as, as, as quirky as he is, <laughs> Casey says to him, anyone ever tell you you're smart, RJ? RJ says, yes, I tell myself this every day. <laughs> as quirky as he is, he's extremely effective as a mentor because his, his, his ways and his, um, his method, his methodology is so, uh, is really unconventional. And, I think that that I think that ended up helping our characters. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Cuz sometimes breaking from convention is the best thing you can do. Mm -hmm. Which is not uh, necessarily our thematic discussion, but 
you could be a part of it. There were so many thematic, there were so many themes we could pull from this. Even like I even at the last possible minute, I almost told you, let's steal what the Disney brain said. But yeah, I, I think we're going to I think we're going to stick our guns and and go with that. Go with what we actually chose. Yeah. So now we have to talk about our supporting cast and one of the most endearing characters from uh, that we've seen so far is Fran played by Sarah Thompson. I love Fran. I do she love is Fran. So endearing. She's very endearing. Yes. <laughs> yes, quite. Yes, she quite. reminds me a little bit of Claire from a little, Mystic Force. A little. She's she's no Claire, where Claire was uh basically a witch in training, and you know, she was learning how to use magic and she really came into her own. Fran is just Fran is just an awkward, a kind of awkward bookworm who, mm-hmm. who, you know, who's looking to get a job and has some friends and she's a little smarter than I think people realize. She's a little wiser than what people realize as well. Yes. And if she's, she very much looks like the nerd because we don't really have a nerd on the team. So she kind of fills that role. And mm-hmm. honestly, if there could have been a pink ranger on jungle fury, I think she would have been a prime candidate for it. I kind, there were points where I kind of wanted her to be a ranger. There's even a point where, because there's, it was a little contrived, but there's this kind of weird episode where the porcupine monster of the week had gotten some of his spines into Lily. So she, she went full tilt biker, biker chick. (laughs) And Fran threatened to take her morpher away. Yeah. And I'm like, do it morph, do it, Fran, do it. And I, I also wanted to be, I also wanted Fran to become a ranger by the time this was over. Um, at least maybe at least like uh, for like an episode or half an episode, something. And I think the best, I think what you, the, the episode you're just talking about was the best opportunity to do that. After that, I think they missed the boat a little bit Um, because, you know, because during that episode, Lily becomes just very apathetic. She's like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be told what to do. And that would have been the perfect opportunity to say for Fran to say, you know what? Fine. I'll do it myself. But, but that wouldn't have really made a whole heck of a lot of sense because she's not technically a Paishwa master. She's not. Yeah, a it wouldn't. It wouldn't have. She's actually, in terms of what she contributes to the show and to the character dynamic, she's more like an alpha. Now, I, I have to say, I felt really sor- sorry for her because there are points where the Rangers run off to go do Ranger stuff, and she's left to take care of the restaurant by herself, and she yeah. just does it. Doesn't complain. She's just like, fine. I have to do it. Someone's got to do it. And which is part of what makes her really endearing. And she figures out who the Rangers are. Yeah. You think that's when the, that's when there's a little bit of a turn for her where it's just like, oh. You're wiser than you look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't let the don't let the awkward bookworm mystique fool you. Uh, she's she's actually she actually became she actually became really useful. And I like useful useful endearing uh, civilian allies is this is the category that she falls yeah. into yeah and she really 
helps out the Rangers at points. She gives them much needed encouragement. She kind of gives them a little pushes when she needs to. Everybody, even RJ, she helps him out. You know, it was a little bit of a weird scene because RJ, the werewolf, tackles her on the ground and she just kind of, I don't even remember what she said to him, but she just said something to him and he just stopped. I'm like, okay, she must be magic. <laughs> well, she, I mean, she has a special, she does have a kind of a special relationship with RJ. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she, it, what were we talking about? Was it, um, <clears throat> oh, it was, uh, uh, that's what it was. It was, we were, it was the SPD episode where we were talking about the relationship between Kat and Kruger where Kat has this authority or this way of talking to Kruger to get through to him. And I think that, um, I think that Fran has that with RJ. I have to say at for this is again, this is one of those cases where in lesser hands, she probably could have been really annoying, but she actually came out really nice. Very she did. Yeah. And I, I, I'm, I'm grateful for, for that. Grateful I was, that. I was, yeah, I was prepared to not like her or I was prepared to not like her or her character. I was pleasantly surprised by how much I did. And I, and actually I think the same can be said for, um, for RJ as well. I was prepared not to really like RJ all that much. Um, you hippie hater. Well, you know, I grew up around hippies and they have this way about them that can get under your skin. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I was very pleasantly surprised by how much I liked these two characters. Or, uh, yeah, and Fran. she she has a thing for Dom, mm-hmm. which is pretty obvious. And then the the way the show ends, her happy ending is she gets to go backpacking with Dom mm-hmm. to uh, what was it? To, not Russia, but uh, China, Europe, Europe, or backpacking across Europe. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which seemed very appropriate for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she, it's just kind of funny because she doesn't seem like the adventurous type, but then the adventurous one takes her on an adventure. Well, Fran had, I think this, if I'm, I hope I'm not reading tea leaves or reading too much into it, but Fran had to grow by kind of getting outside of her comfort zone. For sure. And that the the culmination of that is like going on an adventure with Dom, mm-hmm. which is probably well outside of her comfort zone. Mm-hmm. When we first meet fan, when we when we first meet her, she's in the corner with a stack of books, and she's just kind of this little she's this little soft spoken introvert. And then all of a sudden they need help in the pizzeria. And so she's thrown into the action. She's like, Oh, what really, what am I going to do? And so she's, she's constantly growing and evolving and being pushed outside of her comfort zone. And that ultimately culminates in her going on this grand adventure with Dominic. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that she's willing to get out of her comfort zone, I think says a lot about her. Mm-hmm. Because many- lot, and she's, and, and also seeing what she has to do to, you know, to take care of things when the Rangers are gone, I think shows how responsible she is and leadership. Yep. Some, it shows some initiative, some leadership, and she's very, you know, she's very quick with advice and comfort. And, you know, so she may not be a Ranger, but I don't think this team would be complete without her. She's just as important. She feels, she's just, a, as important. She, she's just important. She feels a very important role on this team for sure. For sure. For sure. I could say a lot more about her, but yeah. <laughs> I think we've said enough. Yeah. And so the next part of the supporting cast, 
we'll just go through it really quickly. We could spend a little bit of time on all of them, mm-hmm. but we'll just get through it. You know, uh, we'll just touch on all of them. So the Paishwa Masters, we end up with how many? You see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Mm-hmm. Seven of them. So Master Mao, played by Nathaniel Lees. Master Fan, played by Bruce Alpress. Master Swoop, played by Oliver Driver. Master Finn, played by Paul Gittens. Master Rila. Now, these last three are basically like the spirit masters because they're yeah. in the spirit world. So Master Rila, I should say, played by Stig Eldred. And good Lord, that man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he looks like he came... He looks like he he looks like he should be a dwarf in a Lord of the Rings movies. He just came from the mountains. Yeah. <laughs> He's a big man, too. And Master Gwyn, played by, and I'm embarrassed <laughs> I didn't notice this until you pointed it out. <laughs> yes. Michelle Langston. Mm-hmm. Better known as Cat. Yeah. I should have known better. I'm I mean I'm I'm definitely a cat person. You know me. And then we have Master Low played by Andrew Lang. Mm-hmm. Which Andrew Lang is you we should know that name by now. He's the voice of Vengex and he's the voice of Lord Zed in Dino Fury. That's that's what it that's the that's where his name that's that's right. That's where his name sounds familiar from. I'm getting I was getting his name confused with Lex Lang. Um, played Ecliptor. So all of these are the masters. They show up periodically, some more than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, I should mention Bruce Alpress. If I remember correctly, this was his last role, his last acting role. He died in 2020. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I, I was actually surprised by the act. Actually, the caliber of acting from everybody this season was very impressive and but probably my favorite master out of all of them was probably master swoop because he was it's the martial arts movie trope he's the blind master Mm -hmm. and he also had some of the more profound things to say he's the one that taught our blue ranger theo theo a little bit more because each one of them these first three they all teach something to one of the other, not first three, but Fant, Swoop, and Finn. They all teach one of the other Rangers something important. Right. You know, Master Finn taught some things to Casey, which created some character conflict because Master Finn is RJ's dad. And RJ felt like he was being replaced. He felt a little insecure. He's like, he's my student. What is he doing? And then Master Fant taught some, uh, taught lily how to use her jungle mace so uh, they they all got to learn some new things from each one of them which Mm -hmm. i think is which i think was a very smart move master mao was the head of the the martial arts school the pai shua masters and they don't say it but he dies but this is power rangers we can't say die destroyed no they didn't even say destroyed he said like i I'm going to, uh, uh, I'm going to continue in a different form of like we get it. You're joining the force. We get it. All right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Yeah, moving on. But you know, so uh, the, uh, so that was interesting. And he would show up. He's the one who tried to tell Casey, "Hey, Daishi, Jared is irredeemable." And 
And he would say no. You know, but he's kind of the most Obi-Wan-ish out of all of them. Because, you know, yeah. again, the whole, you know, it's like, if you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you uh, can possibly imagine. I do, though, I do agree with what Disney Brain had to say. Like, him returning to vanquish the monster then in the next episode does kind of undermine the heaviness of him dying. A little bit. The first episode. I do have to agree with that. Yeah, like, I probably should have been saved for later. It, well, yeah, it should have definitely been saved. Like it was way more impactful later on when can, when Casey defied him to go save Jared. Um, yeah, I, I just don't. I mean, I don't like. I didn't like that. I thought it kind of undermined the whole. I, I think it kind of undermined the whole. Like, oh, now they're left without a master. They're left without a leader. Um, so, yeah, and that master, uh, as you can probably tell. After Master Mao, you can kind of figure out what you know which animals they are because Fant, Swoop, and Thin are the Spirit Rangers. Mm-hmm. So elephant, I'll give them credit with the it was Swoop. It doesn't immediately communicate that it's a bat. And then Thin, I mean that's at least a name, a real name, but he's the shark. But then uh, the Spirit Masters, it's on the nose. Yeah. Gorilla, Gwyn, and Lope. Yeah. Gorilla, Penguin, Antelope. Yeah, we get it, guys. But we don't see it a whole lot in... We don't see it a whole lot with Master Mal, but his animal spirit is a fox. At least it looks like a fox. And I know foxes are a big deal in in Asian mythology. Yeah, specifically the Kitsune. Oh, okay. You ever heard of the Kitsune? No, go ahead. Uh, what For the uninitiated, what is the kitsune? Yeah, it's the Japanese word for fox. Uh, but specifically, the kitsune are foxes that are believed to possess paranormal abilities and that increase as they get older and wiser. They're yokai, actually, says because it says, according to yokai folklore, all foxes have the ability to shapeshift. This is from Wikipedia. Shapeshift into human form. While some folktales speak of Kitsune employing this ability to trick others, as foxes in folklore often do, other stories portray them as faithful guardians, friends, and lovers. Ooh. But, okay, yeah, that's... I was wondering what the correlation between Master Mao and his fox and... Because, like, again, you don't... We don't see it until, like, the... Fin- we don't see it until the finale. Um when they're in their animal forms. So which looking at it now, looking at the, the Sentai footage, the Sentai counterpart, it does look like just a big furry costume. Yeah. Cause he turns into a Fox at the end and it's, yeah. it's kind of odd. Yeah. There are Kitsune masks that look like foxes. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Yeah. Oh, and we, this is not the only time we've ever seen a Fox in power Rangers. Like no. we've got, we've got the, the, what is it? The nine, uh, we had the, um, like a nine-tailed fox. Yep, the nine-tailed fox. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. We had the nine-tailed fox, which technically cat from season three. That's technically that that monster of the week is is a fox, but it was re-engineered or re recontextualized, recontextualized to be a cat. But it's actually a fox, a red fox. Yeah, that's uh, that was a little weird. So, so weird. <laughs> but then the spirit rangers, the. They test the rangers in the spirit world to face their greatest fears, which ended up coming out a little bit odd. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lily's is the one that made at least the most sense because she doesn't like spiders. Yeah. Okay. 
But then Casey's was a childhood fear where he was too, where he thought there was a monster in the closet. He never had the guts to just walk up there and find out there wasn't a monster. Mm-hmm. Just be glad this isn't Monsters, Inc., Casey. <laughs> Theo's was the weirdest one. And it's almost stereotypical because he's Asian. His was singing karaoke because he <laughs> says he's not very good at singing. So he, he has to, that went back to him. Basically, I sounded like he was basically forced to do singing and music when he was a kid. And then he had to do a recital and it was his first recital and he choked. Yeah. If I remember correctly, his parents made him pick up an instrument. Yeah. He had very strict parents, which is another yeah. trope. Trope, cliche, stereotype, whichever you want to. Although, interestingly, in his little test, he sings this little light of mine. And I thought that was really weird. I don't know. I just thought that was I thought that was just really weird that they started singing this little light of mine. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I tend to associate that song with a religious context. I'm going to let it shine. It was a weird choice, but maybe they were just like, we just need something that's public domain. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Something that's public domain and people would know. Okay, there you go. But whatever. So after they passed all those, then they got their jungle master power up. That's their primary function in the overall narrative. Yeah. And then they return. Then they return in the finale for a ridiculous, crazy brawl where everyone comes back. Yeah. Anyway, okay, unless you have more to add to the Masters, we need to get to the villains because who boy. Yeah, we're going to park here for a bit. We have a lot of villains to talk about. Yeah. Again, it's a little bit like Lost Galaxy where it's a little little bit like Lost Galaxy and the unfortunate Operation Overdrive where we have a a rotating roster of villains. Mm hmm. Well, Mystic Force was the same way too. We had a we had a, a little we, bit, yeah, yeah. Mystic Force did that too. Like that was like them a rotating list of villains became a pretty common thing after uh, Lost Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. So, do we want to start with the big bad, or do we want to get the other ones out of the way? Well, considering we're probably going to park on, it's the same thing with RJ. We're, we're going to park on Daishi for a little while. So let's get, let's get everyone. Let's, let's save Daishi and Jared because you can't talk about them. Uh, you can't really talk about them individually. You have to talk about them in, in, in the context of each okay, other. So do we want to start with Camille or yeah, let's the start overlords with, and phantom beasts? Let's, let's start with Camille. Camille. Let's start with Played Camille. by Holly Shanahan. Uh-huh. And if that name sounds familiar, this is Mystic her Force. second role. Mystic Force. She Mystic was. Force. She was Lily. Lily. Yes. Yes. And, and I think she does a better job here. She does. Yeah. She. I did not notice it had. It was our friend on Twitter that pointed out uh, that that was who that was, and I didn't see it. Uh, it was either you or him that pointed that out to me, and I did not see it at first. I uh, didn't but, either, but, but she looks a lot different as right. Camille. But when she it's put the on hair that does it. Yeah, it's the hair. She looks older here. She looks a lot older in in Jungle Fury. Yeah, and, and her hair why. is it's darker in Mystic Force. She was blonde mm-hmm. and he, mm-hmm. and her hair is styled to look like a, 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 a chameleon tail. Get it? Camille? Chameleon? Yeah. 
Because she possesses the spirit of a chameleon. Yep. Clever show. Clever. Yeah. Which in her, her Sentai counterpart is essentially the same because in the Sentai, uh, the Sentai, she has two hair pigtails. Yeah. She has two pigtails. Yeah. Um, but she's also in the Sentai. She, her character is also a face actress, Mm -hmm. um, that can transform back and because, because the whole thing with Camille is, and same thing with Jared and, and Daishi is she has her human form and then she has her spirit animal form in the form. And it looks, I mean, it looks really good. I'm not going to lie. Like her, her chameleon suit, chameleon form, whatever, um, looks really good. I like, yeah, and, and I like, and I like Camille as a character and I, and I kind of mm-hmm. tried to plant the seed earlier in the episode when we were talking about, uh, Lily, there's a lot more nuance to Camille than you, than we first realize. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because at first there doesn't seem to be a whole lot there. Right. She's subservient to Daishi. She's apparently in love with Daishi. Um, and you can kind of tell that from even their first interaction, because when when she comes on screen, I think it, it's either him or her that says my love. And I cannot remember which one it was. I yeah. think it was Daishi that called her his love. Yeah. Um, or my darling yeah. or something. I can't remember the exact line, but there is the implication that there is a romantic um attraction there. yeah but it's it's very much and i know this is not a perfect one-to-one comparison it's very joker and harley quinn a little because it's very one-sided yeah at and first she, yeah and she mostly keeps it to herself and she's always just hoping well that something's going to come of it well they also when we get to the phantom beasts they also try to use it against her right because they start questioning. It's like, do you actually love Daishi or do you love Jared? Mm-hmm. Because that's that's offensive to love a human. You yes. Know, because they, we hate humans. But but loving Daishi makes you weak. Right. So you're screwed either way. Um, but but yeah, I like Camille. I like Camille's character. There, Like I said, there was a lot more nuance to her. Or we, we grew to learn more about her as the show went on. And she became one of my favorite characters, um, along with her little sidekick. Oh, do we want to move <laughs> on to Flit already? Yeah. Well, no. Let's let's keep. Part. You have any more thoughts on Camille? Because I, I think we. Uh, well, a- I just want to say I did like her progression, and I, she she's one of the villains who has a face turn, mm-hmm. which I think is fascinating because she learns that. Yeah, she, you know, she's in love with Daishi and maybe there are certain things about Daishi. And I think a lot this happens a lot to women in real life. They might be attracted to certain things in the so-called bad boys, but they hopefully learn that though those positive traits don't outweigh the bad ones, <laughs> the bad traits, because he doesn't, he treats her like dirt and just uses her. And at several points basically threatens to either kill her or kick her out or whatever. She is constantly berated for failure mm-hmm. and yet she still sticks around. Yeah. It's a very toxic and kind of abusive relationship. It really is. I was going to say it is a very, it, it, it's very reminiscent of a very abusive relationship. 
for sure. For sure. But she helps to bring Jared out, which I think is the important part. Mm-hmm. Her long yeah, suffering that... does pay off. But that's because Jared and Daishi are not the same person. She never she never real she never gives up on Jared specifically. She never gives up on well, Jared and Daishi are one and the same for a while, but there, but the longer it goes on, there is a clear distinction between who is Jared and who is Daishi. And she and her purpose throughout this entire season is to bring out Jared, the right? Hum, the human side, because she realizes that Daishi is not the being that she thought or desired to be with. Right. And then at the end of the show, she's one of the villains who survives. Mm-hmm. And much like Lothor's nieces, at the yeah. end of Ninja Storm, she joins the martial arts academy to, because you know, every, a, as an entry level student, so because she says, "Hey, it's never too late to start over." Right. I was gonna say there's it's there's it's never too late. I was gonna say it's never too late for new beginnings, but I was just uh, I couldn't remember the exact line. Yeah. No, they said start over. Right. Right. So now flit. <laughs> you know. Voiced by Kelson Henderson, who just continues to play like a gazillion characters in Power Rangers. You, you, Boom, Phineas, Norg, Norg. I'm Norg. Um, um, you and I agreed. You and I agreed that when we first saw what was going on and we get introduced to, and so Flint is flit, flit, flit. It's flit, flit, flit. Like when you're flapping wings, you flit around. Yeah. Flit. He's a fly. He's a little, he is from the Sentai. He's a fly with a microphone. Yeah. 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 And little overalls and little overalls. He looks like a radio announcer, which is, plays which goes perfectly for for the for the shtick that he, he does because he does running commentary on the yeah. sword fights he, he yeah he does uh yeah he does the he's, the, he's I, the, I really thought the first time he showed up I was like what the frick am i watching now his commentary was amusing but like how long i thought it was just gonna be a one-time thing because then camille eats him I'm like what the frick okay he's gone she ate him but no, he kept coming back because we find out his backstory was he used to be a warrior who tried to challenge Camille like 500 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then she turned him into a fly and I swallowed thought it was 10,000 years ago because everything is 10,000 okay. years. And how much are you willing to bet that they fought Rita and stuffed her into the dumpster? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, continue. Anyway, so. yeah. 10,000 years ago during the Beast War. Okay. <laughs> I you say beast war to me, and I think about something completely different. Right. <laughs> Hello, Transformers. Anyway. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hello, Megatron. <laughs> um. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> that would be a hilarious crossover. <laughs> Which, given that it was ten thousand years ago, that might have almost worked. Anyway, so. She cursed him, turned him into a fly, and then swallowed him. And he can't live for what was it like more than two or three hours outside of her yeah, disgusting it, stomach. Yeah, it's something like that. There's like a, <clears throat> it's the spell she has on him or something. I, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just, you know what? I have to admit, it might explain why he went a little bit mad because 
I think I would too after spending that much time stuffed in an evil chameleon lady's stomach and not being right. able to live long outside of it. Right. Yeah. But I but when we first saw Flit and we know and we and we saw the shtick, we were like, okay, so if they continue this, how long is it going to take before it gets old? We anticipated that we anticipated that they would use it a few times. And after a couple of times, it was going to get real old. Honestly, they used it. I think like, I think if I think flit was in like 18 episodes, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. It was. And they used it enough. They used it sparingly enough to where it didn't quite get as old as I was anticipating it being. Yeah. And I will say this, at least what he's saying is funny. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. entertaining. Yeah. And Kelson Henderson hits just the right tone for the voice that it's not grating. Uh-huh. And also we get to see him actually be a real character in a couple mm. of episodes because we find out that he's not just the commentating fly. He actually contributes some meaningful things to the plot and yep. kind of, uh, more I think before any of the other villains has a bit of a face turn. Because he gets weirdly attached to RJ because RJ saves him once. He's like, you are my best friend. Yeah. <laughs> I love You're you. My you are best my friend. best friend. Please help me. <laughs> you know, it's what, what I text you that one day when I was watching. I was like, this show made me care about the about Flit. It made yep. me care. It made me care about Flit. I mean, it's it's not the only time we've ever seen kind of this comedic side character like Orbis, uh, clank and or uh, clank. This is like, this is clank and Orbis all over again. Um, Orbis was a little bit like this, uh, but Orbis was nowhere near as endearing. Um, flit is, I liked flit a lot and Kilson Henderson, just my God, the range of that man to, uh, to do some of these voice, to do this voice and uh, to do some of this acting, is is really good. I can see now why people love Kilson Henderson so much. Yeah, I it's just astonishing, and the fact that you know, he he also does face acting. He's good and uh, he can do makeup. He plays multiple characters. We're going to see him again later on. Spoiler warning: He comes back in Ninja Steel as mm -hmm. a character. Right, comes back uh, as, as Mac, a, um, Mac. Mick, Mick or Mac? Mick, yeah, Mick, Mick or Mick. I think it's Mick. Mick, yeah, he comes back as a as another regular. So. You know, because he came back in Dino, Dino Fury. Fury. Yeah. 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 So you see, I, I really and he, we actually get Kilson Henderson's face at the end of the show because. Yeah, because uh, Flick gets restored back to human uh, human form and they wisely have him come in wearing a backwards hat and sunglasses. So we don't get his full face. Yeah. Like backwards hat and ridiculously large sunglasses to mimic the, the bug eyes. Yeah. Yeah, which is uh, which is amusing. Mm. But yeah, if you can make us care about a goofy little fly puppet, because that's really all he is. He's a yeah. goofy little fly puppet. Yeah. I, congratulations. You made me care. Right. Yeah, I, I cared about Flit and I enjoyed I enjoyed the dynamic between Flit and Camille because Camille is annoyed by Flit, but she also cares about Flit. Um. I also think she likes keeping him around to, as her whipping boy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, and it's the, and I'm specifically thinking about the episode where, 
uh, she gets him back or, or she takes him back from RJ and she's walking away and she just kind of smiles. She's like, Oh, I have my friend back. So anyway, we have a lot of, um, do we want to, okay. So do we want to talk about the overlords or do we well, want to, they just, were first, let's just get, let's just go through them quickly. Cause the sure. overlords and then later the phantom beasts are more just typical power mm-hmm. ranger villains. They're good. They're as, very good you know, as yeah. typical Power Ranger villains go, but mm-hmm. they're just more typical. Yeah. So first you had the Overlords, which is Karnasaur, because it's S O A R. Yeah. And Boy, you had to uh, point that out by Cameron Rhodes. Then you had to point that out to me. It was bird. It's bird themed. Yeah. And then, and then Jellica, who's a jellyfish, uh, voiced by Elizabeth Easter. Easter. I'm not sure how to say that name. E A S. T-H-E-R. Mm-hmm. And the suit actor was Yuki Ono. Mm-hmm. And then Grizaka. Grizaka. That's just fun to say. Grizaka. Played by Derek Judge. He's a grizzly bear, mm-hmm. obviously. Right. So basically what happens is for a while it's Daishi. And then they awaken the overlords who come in and kind of take over because they, Dai, because Daishi to give a little context, Daishi is getting his ass kicked by the Rangers. So he needs, he, he, he calls upon the power of these overlords to help train him, to give yes. him the power that he so, needs. So his story runs parallel right. to the Rangers. And actually what another one of my favorite episodes, which I'm going to look up here really quick was one that I jokingly called the anti-Christmas Carol. I think it was good karma, bad karma. I'm pretty sure it was good karma, bad karma. Yes, yeah, good karma, bad karma, where a carnosaur takes him through and shows him past memories. So it was, yeah, Jared past memories, and he said, like, you did the right thing here, but let's say you didn't. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, are we actually changing the timeline, or are we just gaslighting him so much that we alter his own memory. Well, I was going to say the difference, the difference to that being, um, he actually changes the timeline of a few things. See, I'm not so sure. I'm not sure if it's time travel and he's altering the timeline. I think it's, he's altering the projections of these memories so that he thinks that's what actually happened when it really wasn't. Well, I think that he's, I, I was given the impression I was given the impression he was actually altering the timeline uh, specifically about, I think it was the, it was the moment where Daishi is getting bullet or uh, Jared, I should say is getting bullied uh, by the kids at the playground. And Carnosaur says what you were, you were, you knew martial arts. Why didn't you fight back? What if you did? Well, now you did. Or, Uh, it was, or the family that he, that I think they, I can't remember the backstory. You have to help me here. But, uh, the backstory is there was a family that his family was attached to and they helped them through a hard time. And what if that, what if they didn't help them through a hard time, they would have lost their house, their farm, et cetera. Because apparently he, they said, he said, you live in this area called the Midwest. Uh, so I'm assuming he lives in like Indiana or somewhere out in Midwest. I don't know uh, about Indiana, but yeah. But, you know, whatever. He lives out in the Midwest. Who's the somewhere. Midwest someplace? Someplace. He grew up yeah. on a farm. He grew up on a farm. So, yeah, they, they helped. There's this other family that they helped out, and 
they were going to lose their home and their farm. Like, what if you guys didn't help them out? And then all of a sudden he says, well, that didn't happen. He snaps his fingers and everything just yeah. dusts. It yeah, turns yeah, yeah. Dust. So, but like I said, I don't think, I think that was, he was just changing the memories. I don't think it was actually changing the timeline because there would have been, if that well, was the case, there would have been a lot more consequences, I think. True. So I was given the, imp- I thought I, the, I thought the implication was he was changing the timeline. Maybe no, he was just- and I actually think it's more interesting if it's altering memories. Cause that's basically what Carnosaur is doing. He's gaslighting him. Well, ga- that's what well, gaslighting is. You tell people enough lies long enough that they just believe them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that actually makes more sense in. Yeah. Things so that going- was honestly probably the best episode with Carnosaur. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah. I agree. Yeah, Grizz, but like I said, other than that, the rest of them are just kind of typical Power Ranger villains. They're good. I mean, like they're, I said. the the episode with Jellica was a little weird because Jellica at first refuses to train Jared, and yeah. then she cho- and then she chooses to. And I felt really bad for Camille because it's like uh, I'm gonna cha- I'm gonna train Camille instead, but it was all a ruse to. Force- yeah, because uh, and actually, it was interesting. Her motivation is like. It's like I didn't just want. Uh, I didn't just want you to want me to train you. I wanted you to beg me. Yeah, basically. Yeah, which I'm like. So you 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 use Camille to make Jared jealous. I guess that's why I kind of read it. But whatever. Um, poor Cam- poor Camille gets abused in this in this in this season. She does. She does. And then, you know, Grizaka is probably the most typical a Power Ranger villain compared to all of them. He has like, what was it like the, he had like some weird name for, he's like the, he's the most powerful out of the three. Yeah. And he had some weird nick, you know, name, not nickname, but name for his power source that Daishi was trying to learn. I don't even remember what it was. It was a goofy sounding Asian thing. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, Zocato. Zocato. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Okay. Anyway, can pick. There you go. Zocato. Yeah. Yeah, or like we get it, dude. You're ruthless and barbaric, and blah blah blah. Yeah, he was. <laughs> we've seen this a lot. We know your type, right? He, it, we've seen this type of villain before. But what makes him interesting is he had this special power up called Zocato that Jared wants to master. Yeah, we should point out that even though I don't think they bring this up as much as they should. The goal of these villains is to collect human fear. They feed off of it. They don't bring it up as often. Yeah, they don't bring it up. It was, it was brought up in the first because uh, that first villain was, I'm feeding off of your fear and getting. And that's how he got big. And that's and how then he got after big, that, yeah. they very inconsistently bring that up. A lot of times the monsters well, just get big because they want to. Well, that's why. Um, what was the what was one of the early on? What was one of the early thematics that that I had proposed? Was it fear or was it something along those lines? of uh, i think courage courage maybe? yeah that's what it was it was courage yeah i i uh i proposed courage because there was some of these monsters of the week they constantly said i'm feeding off of your fear and they kind of dropped it during well I, I noticed that they dropped it a lot during the uh writer strike but yeah yeah but you know so there's you know there, there's a little bit of a little bit of a lack of focus, but not as bad as I would say some other villains that we've seen. But yeah, Rizaka, he's fine. And then we had a second set of villains who come in to replace the overlords. And I actually like this batch a little bit more other than maybe Carnosaur. Mm-hmm. These, uh, this batch is a little bit more interesting. And Camille kind of sort of gets to dr- join them because generals. 
because mm-hmm. they're generals. Right. They're not. They don't come in and take over. They right. are. They serve as generals, and Camille gets to join them because right. she gets a phoenix form. And I told you that this one uh, that this batch actually has more mythological connections because of the four symbols or the four guardians, mm-hmm. which you and I are a little bit familiar with because this plays into the Heisei Gamera trilogy. Right. And this has been used by Sentai and Power Rangers before with Die Ranger slash Mighty Morphin Season 2. Right. So the four guardians, the four symbols were, uh, let me make sure I get this right, the, the Azure Dragon, the Vermilion Bird or Phoenix, the White Tiger, White Tiger, <laughs> and the Black Tortoise. So... It's not the first time we see it. And there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of weight to these yeah, to these figures in mythology. If you want to learn more about it, I highly recommend listening to my Monster Island Film Vault episode on Gamera 3, The Revenge of Iris. I go into a whole lot of detail about each of those because that does play into, like I said, into that trilogy of kaiju films. And just to sweeten the deal even more, I was joined by our friend Kaiju Kim on that episode. Oh, that's right. You were. And for anyone who remembers Kaiju Kim, she was our friend on the Dino Thunder episode. Yep. Yep. So we definitely see that reflected in these characters. You have Scorch, who's the dragon, voiced Mm -hmm. by Mark Wright. Then Snapper, who's the turtle, voiced by Richard Simpson. And then, well, just played by. It wasn't strictly voiced, I guess. And then Weiger. Get which it? is white tiger, which is arguably the best one of the bunch. Yeah. Played by Jared Turner because he has a face turn. Mm-hmm. They get, he gets banished. He said like, you have failed us. I'm taking your power and kicking you out. Of course the white. And you said, uh, you yeah, I was like, of course the white tiger helps the Rangers. Right. Yeah. Of course the <laughs> white tiger gets a face turn. Okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So he helps them out and it's, I actually really like that. I thought, yeah. That was, was that in the panel? No, that wasn't the penultimate episode. That wasn't Path of the Righteous. But I did really like that because he decided that Daishi's going too far and my honor. Yeah, we saw it in Lost Galaxy with Loyax, and then we've seen it in other seasons after this. And so this was is despicable. Was despicable. Yeah, was in, in space. In space. Yeah. So <clears throat> we we've seen this, but this was done in a little bit of a different way where. Um, he starts out as evil, but, but says, oh no, I don't like how this is going or you're like, you're becoming too powerful. So I'm going to choose to be, And he even picks a fight with Casey and basically tells him, kill me. Yeah. Kill me. And Casey says, no, I won't. Mm. And then he's like, okay, I'll help you take out Daishi. And the power that they pres- the power that they possess that Daishi wants is called Rinzen power. Rinzen, yes. Rinzen power, yeah. 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 So yeah, I, I was really impressed with all of them. And uh, they could have just been monsters of the week or whatever, been kind of boring, but nope. They 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 managed to elevate these characters in one form or another. Not all of them, mm-hmm. but a couple of them. I would say probably my favorite ones would be Carnosaur and Weiger. What was the two most interesting ones. What was interesting about them, though, when we first get introduced to them and they see Daishi, they don't want to overthrow Daishi. They want Daishi to become their king. 
They're Phantom Beast yeah, King. The Phantom Beast King, which mm-hmm. sounds like a great title, by the it way. It does. It does. Yeah. So <laughs> they that's, don't. That's that's someone's metal band too. The Phantom Beast Kings. Yeah. Unlike unlike the Overlords, where they where they think they're better than Daishi, these guys, uh, the Phantom Beasts, want Daishi to be their leader. He they want Daishi to lead them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I did at first wonder, is like, is there a lion thing with the four symbols? And I looked it up. I was like, no, it was, it's not the lion, not a lion. It was, uh, there was another dragon that sometimes uh, would get associated with them in Japanese mythology, the Japanese mm-hmm. take on this, because the four symbols is originally Chinese in origin. Mm-hmm. And I looked, I was like, okay, so it's not a lion. It was yeah. something else. But that, so that plays more into the animal side of the motif than the martial arts slash mythological side because you know lion king of the beasts you know they're kind they're chinese constellations essentially yeah yeah Yeah. which we've seen seen that before we've seen the constellation motif before zeo was yeah the the zeo zords were based on constellations or yeah well and and uh, there's a new yeah and there's a new sentai in the last few years that was constellation themed Mm mm-hmm I thought I think the Phantom Beasts are a little bit more interesting because there's like we talked about earlier with Camille, there's a little bit more nuance to them because they want Daishi to be their their king, but they also want to remove Camille from from the ranks because Camille is a distraction. So now do we want to talk about the foot soldiers and then move on to the big guy? Yeah, let's let's talk about the foot soldiers. All right, the Rinshi. Now, what's noteworthy about this is this is the first time that the foot soldiers have the same name in both Power Rangers mm-hmm. and the Super Sentai. And they're Chinese they're, vampires. Yep, Chinese hopping vampires. vampires. So Rinshi, so they're the same thing. Now, I will say, if you look at this, you might think this looks incredibly silly. But in Japanese, excuse me, in Chinese mythology, these things are terrifying. They're so the Rinshi are inspired by, are inspired by the Jiangshi. I hope I said Jiangshi. I hope Zhongxi. I said that right. It's Jiang. It's I think it's called. I think they're called the Jiangshi. The Jiangshi. Yeah, and yeah, they have their arms stretched out. They wear traditional Chinese garb and they hop. Right. They, and they hop and they will kill people and absorb their key or life force. So it, it, it's a different it's a it's a bit of a different take on vampires, but still very much the same thing. Yeah, uh, they're and their legends. The legends of these go all the way back to the Qing dynasty. Mm-hmm. So they've been around for a while. Yeah, and there's a lot that could be said about that, but that's the long and short of it. And I think you and I talked about this. They're kind of unsettling because they behave so strangely. And I think, honestly, I think that's what I think the best foot for. soldiers in Power Rangers are the ones that look and behave a little bit odd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this. They're not as goofy as, say, the Batlings. The Batlings were a little uh, uh, the Batlings were meant to be more menacing than the, what they turned out to be. Um, the Batlings were meant to be a little unsettling. I think the most unsettling uh, outside of. I don't know, outside of maybe the putties, the original putties, because it's really hard to top the putties because they are, if you think about them, they are just kind of terrifying. Um, yeah, because they, when they're not being silly, because let's be honest, later on, I think the putty actors were just goofing around. Right. But 
when they uh, when they weren't goofing around, they were just unsettling because they were human, but not quite human in appearance. And then they would just behave and move very strangely. Yeah, that's what and, I was gonna... and the noises help too. That's that's what I was going to point out. It's like the the blurring the blurring the line between what is human and unhuman uh, is a little uh, is the unsettling part. Yeah, and it's the one. Um, I'm trying to remember if these are from, I think they're from in space. Uh, they could be. Yeah. They're from in space was the Quantrons. The, well, the, the yes, yes. The in space was the Quantrons, but I'm talking about the, um, Oh, uh, craterites, the craterites. Yes. They were, you. cause they were the, they were the foot soldiers in mega, mega Ranger. Ranger. Yeah. They were weird. They were, and they kind of blur the line. The craterites blur the line a little bit, um, between, you know, what is human? What is, what is unnaturally human? You know what I mean? So yeah. the, the Rinchi are like there when I, when we first see them, did I text you or did I, or is this probably an internal thought? Like, why are they hopping? And then you pointed uh, out and that I put is like, they're inspired by Chinese vampires and they hop. Yeah. Chinese vampires hop. And I think it's because, you know, because that is unnatural. Mm-hmm. That's what makes the hopping vampires scary because they just have their arms out and they hop because human beings don't do that. Yeah, they don't behave that way. And honestly, that is this is something that I think goes largely unappreciated. If you want to make something truly horrifying, what you want to do is is skew what is actually normal, Mm -hmm. you know, and having these vampires, basically, you know, who, you know, move and behave in unnatural ways. That is honestly more terrifying than you know, eviscerating people and, you know, or looking ugly or anything like that. Oh, for sure. It's, it's, I know, I know what they were going for with the Tyranodrones, but these are way more terrifying. And I want to add something else before we move on from the Rinchi. Um, the way they, the, it's interesting because they'll call out specific members of the ranks to become the monsters of the week and specific. And they'll say things like, um, I bestow. Yeah, that's upon, a really interesting gimmick. It's a really interesting gimmick. It's like you possess the power of uh, uh, the the pangolin or the power of the, the the python or something like that. And they're they're these Rinchi warriors that possess certain powers, and then they can morph from the Rinchi form to their monster of the week form. I don't because I've not seen uh, Geki mm-hmm. Ranger yet. And they'll put uh and they'll put uh. uh I don't know what you call them, but they put a little, little embellishments, emblems on, yeah, their, on, on their, their foreheads. headbands yeah. on their foreheads. And then they'll actually have a personality. Yeah. Those are the ones that's what I was going to point out too. These are the foot, like those certain foot soldiers are the ones with personality. So they're kind of like, um, crybots. Yeah. The blue heads and the orange heads. Yeah. The blue heads and the orange head crybots from SPD. Like you have these upper ranked, uh, foot soldiers, but they're still foot soldiers. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I did think it was interesting that we just have powered up foot soldiers. Mm, I think as it's, a lot of the monsters of the week, not all I, of them. We we sometimes in during these discussions we'll just kind of gloss over the foot soldiers, the foot soldier portion of the discussion. But there's also enough, because there just ends up not being a whole lot to say, right? Because but but these there is a lot more nuance. There's a lot more to say with them. Yeah, well, and you know the mythological roots come in handy too. Yeah, yeah. But now we got to talk about the big boy. The Dai Shi, and we're going to talk, and we're actually Dai Shi and Jared. Jared, yeah, because you can't really talk about them 
uh, without talking about the other one as well, because they do bl- because they blur the line so beautifully between Jer- yeah. what is, who is Jared and who is actually Daishi. Yeah. Now I have to say the name for this villain, you know, so Daishi. And now here's the thing that's kind of brilliant. There are two actors who play this character. So we have Bede Skinner. I hope mm-hmm. I said that right as Jared. And then the voice of Daishi is Jeff Dolan. Mm. Here's the thing. I thought that when we were seeing Jared, after he possesses him as a, as after Daishi possesses him as his vessel, his avatar, mm. which puts him at odds with the other animal spirit guys. I thought that was actually Beat Skinner speaking mm. on set. Yeah. But then after I paid a little bit more attention and I, you know, I, I, when we, especially when we get later on where we're hearing Jared speak, I realized, Oh wait, these are, those are two different voices. I thought they was just modulated. I thought it was too, but it's actually two different guys. I'm like, good Lord, whoever worked on the ADR for this show is brilliant because it is perfect. So I have no I have no doubt that Jared, you know, that Bede Skinner is reading those lines, is saying those lines. He is performing on set. But then they had Jeff Dolan come in and he just ADR'd it perfectly. Yeah. I, I am shocked how good the ADR is in this. Unless I'm not noticing something. If I'm wrong, someone please tell me I'm wrong. Otherwise, this is brilliant ADR. I mean, if to be honest, the the ADR almost got my got one of my awards, my special effect award. Yeah. Now I feel I, on so on one hand i think that's great on the other hand i do feel a little bit sorry for bead skinner because i'm sure he he's given an amazing performance mm-hmm. first acting role or not he's given an amazing performance on set yeah there's you a know, lot of emotion he hits that like right that. balance between yeah. being over the top campy and under oh and just right mm-hmm and you know, I I also kind of jokingly call Daishi and Jared the 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 master of the cape toss. <laughs> the master of the cape flourishes. Yeah, not flourish. He just tosses it off. <laughs> you know, because he has this big furry mantle of a cape, and he'll wear it because he's a lion. You know, and then when he's getting get get, you know, he's about to kick your keister when he yeah. just <clears throat> grabs it, throws it off, and then he does his own little morph because he's a pseudo ranger. And then proceeds to kick the snot out of you. But, you know, all of that to say, one thing that I found interesting, the name of this character is kind of brilliant. Daishi. According to the Ranger wiki, the name Daishi in Japanese, great death. That is hilarious. We can't talk. We can't talk about death, even though people die in Power Rangers. But we're going to name, we can't say it, but we're going to name the character Great Death. And then in Cantonese, because you know, Daishi's final form is a dragon, because of course, Daishi means big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So I had to, I, I looked up Daishi's name, uh, thinking, thinking this is what I would find that. Uh, if you're not a part of the Godzilla fandom, then you, this won't make any sense to you. Uh, a Shisa statue, King Shisa, instead of uh, the lion dog, the lion dog. Yes, that is what I was expecting to find. And then I found out that it means it actually means great death or uh, 
or or um uh in that what you just said in Cantonese it's great dragon. No, or, no, big uh, trouble. Big big, tr- big trouble. Sorry, sorry. Uh big trouble. <clears throat> so <laughs> so he's big trouble in little ocean bluff. <laughs> <sighs> there we go. I was waiting. There we go. All right. That's fine. Um yeah. So I I regret nothing. I love Daishi. Yeah, I I had heard some people rank him as one of the best villains in Power Rangers. And you know what? I'm going to have to agree. I'm going to have to agree as well. I do. And uh, it's a li- we've got a bit of a mesagog thing here where it does turn into a Jekyll and Hyde situation, but it's not the same as mesagog. How so? Mesagog was more the was more like the actual Jekyll and Hyde novel. Whereas this one, it's not a case of I made Daishi. No, it's I'm a you know, is Daishi took him as a vessel because he thought that you know, he seems suitable for his for his agenda. He's right. using Jared mm-hmm. because at the time we meet Jared, he already possesses kind of those qualities like he's 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 resentful he's arrogant he's entitled like all those negative qualities that daishi the spirit wants to exploit yeah yeah but we find out that there's a reason for it's because jared hasn't had the best upbringing he hasn't he's had a rough life yeah and he needed to he had a lot of sharp edges that needed to be sanded down and he needed to learn some things. And if he, if not for Daishi, he probably would have learned those. Mm-hmm. But then Daishi, like I said, sees that, seizes the opportunity, uses him as a vessel, which like I said, creates some issues later on. And then Jared starts to realize that he is being exploited and he needs to break free of Daishi, which becomes his big character arc. Which he's really which I will go out and say he's not really able to do without the help of Camille. Right. Right. But like I said, it's different than Mezagog where the, you know, the human half of Mezagog was full of guilt and regret because he created Mezagog. Right. Basically. So he's like, I brought the monster, this monster into the world. I have to stop it. Whereas that wasn't the case here with Daishi. Mm-hmm. Now, as much as I love him, and like I said, the performance is incredible. It's, it's probably one of the best villain performances in Power Rangers. From both actors. But. There's a but coming. Yeah, but. there's a but here. <laughs> they, I do think Daishi slash Jared is one of the characters who gets hurt the most by the writer's strike. And I was I went back and forth because I told you there's an episode in the you know like around 16, 17, somewhere around there, where Daishi gets beat by the Rangers. And the overlords are there already. Right. And I'm thinking, I'm asking myself, is this undermining Daishi as a character? Because you don't want to undermine your villain. We've seen that before. You could make the argument that Lord Zed gets undermined as time goes on. But with but but with Zed, it's it's different. Yeah, with, with Zed, it's his plans just don't work. His 
monsters and his henchmen don't work. The one time he picks a fight with a ranger in the show, it ends in a draw. And you get the impression if he kept going, if Tommy just didn't get that one lucky shot, uh, Tommy might have not lived to tell the tale. Right. I don't think it hurt Jared all that much because it became part of his story arc. It became, yes, Jared or Daishi, Jared, Daishi, whatever, um, did get defeated by the Rangers, but that mm-hmm. motivated him to look for more power, to, yeah, look the, for, it, to look for more mentorship from the overlords and from the phantom beasts. And yeah. that, well, and it, it yeah. became, well, it, no, hang on. And it, it escalated. Like it caused things to escalate with, with Jared because Jared and Daishi realized that he needed, he, they, he needed a little, he, he underestimated our Rangers in this moment. Right. So he needed something. Yeah. Right. Which, so I, I ended up forgiving that. I was a little concerned at first because like Trakina in Lost Galaxy, he goes on a bit of a villain's journey. Mm-hmm. The issue that I have is, you know, I didn't mind the fact that, okay, here's a villain who gets beat and then, has to learn and grow, and then he comes back worse than ever. Again, like I said, Trakina. We've seen this before. The part where he started having issues is Daishi, even though his goal is to get back his position as, you know, top cat, we'll say. The Tom cat. Yeah. He doesn't take out the overlords himself. I think that's where I was the most disappointed. He basically just waits for them to get beat and then just fills the vacuum. Yeah. He seems, he does, so he seemed passive at that point. And I didn't like that. I would have preferred that he was the one who, over, you know, basically you know, took what he learned from the overlords and used that against them. And I think they could have done it. I understand, you know, like Carnosaur, they have Sentai footage of him fighting the Zords. So they have to use it, but I'm like, it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to have him just be small and be injured that then Daishi just goes over and kills him. Mm. You know? No, so I- that's where I felt like that middle portion where he seemed more passive. There was also points where his story was just kind of spinning its wheels a little bit. Well, they, it felt like they put, they put his story on ice until, until the writer's strike was over. That's what yeah. it felt like to me. Yeah. Like they so, put, they put Daishi, they put Daishi and Jared's arc. They put that whole thing. They put it on pause until they could figure out what to, until the, 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 the team came back and figured out what to do with him. Yeah. Yeah. So that middle portion, I don't think he was used as well as he could have been. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that brought him down a few notches. But then, good Lord, those last couple episodes just go nuts <laughs> with Jared. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you are amazing. Oh, my gosh. But do the OK, so do the those those latter few episodes, do they make up for the the, the pause for the most part? It doesn't change that, you know, that middle portion was kind of spinning. It wasn't just him. There was a lot of the characters. Just the whole middle, that you know, that kind of third quarter just wasn't quite as good. Yeah, it was kind of like that messy middle. Like we've missed it. We've, 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 men- we've talked about the messy middle before on this show where yeah. you a lot of Power Ranger shows, 
they'll they'll ramp up and up and up and then they'll cross over that first that first tent pole thing usually comes with a, a new zord or something like that and then the show kind of spins its wheels for a few episodes as it ramps back up so that's yeah. that's sort of yeah. where we're at but what makes this work as well as it does and i think this is another one of those differences between daishi and mezagog is i think daishi i think jared even though he didn't necessarily intend to become the vessel for daishi i think he was willing to go along with daishi because he probably figured Daishi would give him what he wanted. He power. wanted to he wanted to give him power. He wanted to give him prestige. Respect. You know, respect. But Daishi, much like what he does with Camille, he's just abusive. D um, Jared is a tool. Jared is a tool. Jared was also taken, but it's it's an, it's another case of it's almost um like you said, it's almost like the same situation with Camille where Daishi is taking advantage of Camille or Jared as Daishi is taking advantage of Camille. Daishi, the spirit was taking advantage of Jared because the, Jared was felt was feeling wronged and hurt and unappreciated and entitled to being a part to being red Ranger. That's, that was the whole thing. Jared wanted to be red Ranger and he, didn't possess the the personal the personality attributes to become to, to or the fill virtues that, or the virtues to fill that role so he felt slighted so mm -hmm. back back when we saw because he uh, when we meet him he's picking on a lower grade student and so like take my towels Mm -hmm. What are you doing with the towels? And the case is like, stop it! What are you doing? Here's your towels! And he's like, and he slaps him around and yeah. And the Disney brain pointed this out that the show begins with a conflict between Jared and Casey and then ends with a conflict between Jared and Casey. So mm -hmm. it, 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 the show does a really nice job of kind of, of, of wrapping everything up into a bow. Yeah. Yeah. It's very good at bookending. Yeah. I, I will have to say, I have some opinions about the finale, but I, I will tell you that big fight between Jared and Casey in Path of the Righteous. Oh my gosh. We'll talk was, about it during the awards. We'll talk spoiler about it. warning. But good grief. They so they use Daishi incredibly well, I yeah. have to say. And I do like how his story runs parallel to the rest of the Rangers, which honestly I think that's what the mark of that's one of the marks, I should say, of some of the best Power Rangers seasons when you can make the villains and heroes journeys run parallel to each other in order mm -hmm. to offer a contrast yeah you know and we talked about that within space where the rangers are trying to figure themselves out because now they're on their own and they have no mentor and what's astronomer doing she's figuring herself out because she was always told this is who you are but it isn't really who she is right so now we have the same thing here which we'll get into in our thematic discussion so that was uh we'll 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 come back to Daishi, I'm sure, uh, in a little bit, especially when we start talking about thematics. But I want to go ahead and move the conversation along into the Zords portion. So, yeah, starting... which is not as many as Wild Force, but we're going to say that every episode practically. Thank it's not God. as many as Wild Force. Thank God. 
it's not as Zilla. many as Wild Force. Yeah, thank God, Zilla. It's not as many as Wild Force. So our our first and our primary Megazord is. Oh, although G- I should say this does continue the Disney area tradition of modularity. Mm. Which, yeah, for this it's 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 mercifully slight. Uh, yes, quite. Uh, I'm a poet and I didn't even know it. Uh. Anyway, so the first sword that we get to introduce to is the Jungle Pride Megazord. And in our notes, you have Jungle Pride System. Yeah, yeah it's just the subheading for yeah. you know, each one because you get different levels of each one, you know, kind of like, you know, Megazord, Ultra Zord, you know. Yeah, so we have the Jungle Pride Megazord. Um I don't know if we want to. Which do we want has additional ones on top of it because you yeah. have the Jungle Pride Charge, Jungle Pride Charge with Lion and Chameleon. Basically, it's an Ultra Zord. Yeah, but there's a lot of components to this one. Yeah. So the prime the primary components are um, the Tiger, the Cheetah, and the Jaguar. The tiger becomes the entire body. The the cheetah and jaguar become the legs. And then that's it. I really, really, really like this Megazord. It is a surprisingly good Megazord, which I have that stuff related to the Zords in my notes, in my awards, I should say. I should say. So we'll talk about it more then. But these are very impressive Megazords. They're yeah, they're it's it's extremely athletic uh, for a Megazord. Which I'm amazed play, these suit actors can move as well as they do. Right, which plays into the the martial the mixed martial arts theme of this show because this mm-hmm. this Megazord really knows how to fight. Uh, I feel like we've gotten some really much like how we talked about SPD. We had some really interesting uh, visuals with the uh, with the Delta Mega not Delta Megazord. That was that's uh, in space um, with the Delta. Is it Delta Force? No, Delta Force is the command center Megazord there. Anyway, the SPD, the, the, the primary Megazord for SPD, it all starts running together. Um, you know, it could do some tactical maneuvers. Mm-hmm. This one is extremely athletic in the fact that it uses its martial arts skills to 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 fight with. And did you notice this Megazord, Delta Squad, Delta Megazord. Squad Megazord. Thank you. Um, did you notice that this Megazord does not possess a sword? No. Uh, yeah, it doesn't. It gets a lot. That's where some of the other modularity comes from because it uses the other animal spirit Zords to uh, to make weapons, mm-hmm. including one that I swear is just a recycled CGI model from Wild Force with the elephant. Probably. Yeah, but you know, you get the elephant, the bat, and the shark will give it new weapons. Mm-hmm. The probably the most interesting one they do is when RJ joins and you get his wolf uh, his wolf spirit megazord. I mean wolf spirit zord. It just replaces one of the legs and it has a big old spike on the knee so he can do Muay Thai. What's well, a, a blade? Yeah, a big old blade. Mm-hmm. And he can use that for uh, for knee strikes because Muay Thai, like I said. Elbow and knee strikes. Yep. So it, it fights differently when he does that one. And then also the Rhino Steel Zord. And, the, and then for, I think, one episode, you get the lion and the chameleon. But 
that's really just so they could do their, you know, the, the the Jungle Pride Charge, which is basically an Ultra Zord, but half of not half, but you know, at least a quarter of the Zords at that point are just uh, flying around with them. I thought it was the Jungle Pride Stampede. Uh, I think that, I think that's the name of their attack. Okay. Or maybe one of the other variations. It's a little conf- the variations on this are a little bit confusing. Yeah. No, I, I will. I will. I will admit that. Yeah, Jungle Master Stampede is one of them. That's one of the quote unquote alternate. Yeah. Yeah. So I will admit it is. Uh, it is a. It is a little bit. A little confu- This one is a little bit confusing. I. I, I have to agree. Which is one of the downsides you potentially run into with modular zords. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why I had to kind of streamline it a little bit. I was like, we're not going to talk about every single combination. Yeah. But you know, so can. I got that there. And then we also had the jungle master system, mm-hmm. which sounds like a video game console. <laughs> and that one is surprisingly, that one is surprisingly nimble as well. Yeah, um, it's a it's the theme. Yeah, as you can tell. Yeah, made up of the gorilla, the gorilla animal spirit. Oh yeah, and we forgot to mention the rhino has a warrior mode, mm-hmm. which becomes one of the few Zords that has a shield, mm-hmm. which I find fascinating because shields are not a big deal in Japanese culture. That is more of a European thing. It's a Western samurai thing, didn't yeah. samurai didn't use shields. Yeah. That's a Western, it's a, it's a Western thing. And the, the jungle, uh, the rhino, the rhino steel, the rhino steel Zord, um, looks very like Western knight. It has mm-hmm. a very kind of Westernish Westernized knight aesthetic to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, so, uh, the jungle master, which, uh, system, which is the jungle master Megazord, which they the our heroes got after they got their jungle master power up. Mm-hmm. You get a it's made up of the gorilla, the penguin because yes, penguin. <laughs> Thank you, Super Sentai. I never would have thought that penguins could be dangerous. I mean, okay, yeah, it's, di- it's uh, different. unless it's the Batman villain, but okay, it's it's different. It's different. I'm willing to go with it. And the antelope. Yeah. And the antelope. So there you go. Not three animals that I would necessarily associate with each other. Yeah. But this, like you said, it's also a surprisingly nimble Megazord. Mm -hmm. I I don't think I like it as much as the first one. As the first Megazord, the Jungle Pride. Yeah. But it's still pretty good, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the I think the combination that I like the least <laughs> the penguin I forgot the penguin rides basically a flying surfboard right but I think that this is not this does not have anything to do with the the jungle master Megazord this has it with the jungle pride this is a jungle pride combination the jungle pride Megazord with shark power is probably my probably the one that I like the least it looks goofy yeah. Yeah, it's very top. It looks very top because the sh- the front end of the shark converts to this gigantic helmet um, for the Megazord to wear, which, okay, fine, whatever. But it's just my least favorite combination. Probably the Jungle Pride Megazord with bat power looks the best. 
I'm looking that up. Yeah. Yeah. He's got big old blades uh-huh. on there from the wings. And I think yeah. when the bat combines with Jungle Master, I think it just gets big wings on yeah. its back. Yeah. 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 Some of the combinations look a little bit odd. Not my favorites. But these Megazords by themselves look really good. They do. I agree. I, I, I 100%. But the big thing is just how mobile they are. Yeah. Like they it's re- incredible they're how really, mobile they are. They're really playing into the into the martial arts aesthetic and motif here. Yeah. Right. I, I Toei outdid themselves as I'm like, how in the heck did you manage to make these suits work well enough that those suit actors can move around like they are? Because yeah. suit acting is not easy. People yeah. look a lot of Westerners look down on suit acting and thinking that it's you know it's cheap, particularly Japanese suit acting. It's like you try it. Yeah. What is it? Uh, it's um, uh, Haro Nakajima was famous. Yeah. Uh, the famous Godzilla suit actor that played the original in the original suit. I think that original suit was what? 200 pounds. Yeah, it was heavy. Of that nature. Yeah, it was like 200 pounds of foam and rubber. And uh, now now subsequently they they slimmed that down to make them lighter. But that original suit, you could tell that that thing was bulky. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying, you try doing it. You try doing what these guys did in these suits. Because those, clearly those were lighter and more form-fitting. But that's not easy to do. It's not. And I would imagine, too, because you hear, like, a lot of the suit actors. And this is, like, coming from the Godzilla and Kaiju background. But you hear a lot of stories about these suit actors you know, getting extremely dehydrated, heat stroke, you know, et cetera, because you, there are, there is a ventilation system, I'm sure with some of these suits, but it's probably not, not perf- it's not perfect. Yeah. It's not perfect. You have to, st- you have to still make it look like it's one piece of armor. So you can't place like huge, you can't just, you know, put huge uh, air vents and air holes all over it. It kind of breaks the illusion. So you know, and especially with how nimble this Megazord is and how much it's moving around. I bet that I bet that suit actor, poor suit actor was drenched in sweat by the time it was over. Oh, yeah, for sure. So we have to give credit to uh, to Toei and these suit actors. This is some of the most impressive Zord oh, action that I've seen. Oh, very much. Like, I, I love these. Like, I, I did. I did not expect to love these as much as I do, but I do. I love I love the Zords from this series. Yeah. Yeah. And now let's highlight a few monsters of the week. Got your list ready? I do. I'm pulling up my list now. Thank you very much. All right. Do you want to start or you want me to? I'll let you go ahead and start. All right. Well, uh, first one, I admit, is a little bit of a cheat. A little bit of a cheat. But it's hard to not talk about them as a group. Mm Mm-hmm. The Five Fingers of Poison, which is very much an old school martial arts movie reference. Because they yeah. would, there were, because you would have classic martial arts movies with titles like The Five Deadly Venoms and things like yeah. that. So it's five monsters. They're relatively early on in the show. Mm-hmm. So they were these recurring villains weirdly enough they only all five of them only fought the rangers once together the rest of the time they're doing it one at a time but you have there you can kind of uh, if i read you the names you can figure out very easily what animals because because the monsters of the week are general are animal themed as well so you have rantipede 
It's like, is that my name? If I was, a, I thought it was Rant Master. I guess I could also be Rantipede. I mean, that's Rantipede. Okay. Rantipede. And then Gacko, because he's a gecko. Get it? Yeah. And then Toady. That's kind of a perfect name. It's a, it's a zebra, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And then you also have Naja, which is the last of them to get beat. I need to check. Let me see. What was Naja? What was he? Naja. I, I want to say, I think Naja was a. He was a cobra. That's right. He's a yeah. cobra. Uh, but then you have quite possibly my favorite one in terms of name. This is so Power Rangers, but I love it. She's the scorpion. Probably my favorite one of the bunch in terms of design. And her oh. name is Stingerella. Yeah. Yeah, and then you because ha- you have Toady, you have a, like a love interest thing with Toady and Stingerella. Or no, was it was it Toady or was it Gecko? Yeah, it was Toady because he yeah. was the dumb one. That's right, because to- it was Toady and Stingerella had like a like Toady had a crush on Stingerella and Stingerella didn't quite reciprocate. But then she did. And then she did finally. Yes, quite. <laughs> Yeah, but it was I so th- they were a fun a fun bunch of characters. I, I was like I said, Stingerella is one of the best Power Ranger MOTW names I've heard. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the writers really outdid themselves there. Yeah. So my my first monsters of the week is actually a pair uh and it's Byli and Cardin. Ah, the um the Byli is this is uh, the spirit of the crow uh, and Cardin is the spirit of the crane. And what I find interesting about them is they come as a pair and it's so it's, it, we've seen this trope before, like mo- like brother, sister, husband, wife type monsters. They come, uh, they come as a, they come as a pair. One dies. The other one seeks, seeks revenge on behalf of the other. Okay. What I find really interesting about them is they're asymmetrical. And then when they stand next to each other, like they're like, cause one has a, one has a wing on the left side. The other one has a wing on the right side. And so they're, they're definitely meant to be a pair. Um, I would say that it's, it's beautiful tokusatsu, beautiful practical effects with Cardin, but by the crow is incredibly unsettling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, and you actually, uh, you, you actually get them in the, uh, the blind leading it's a pair of episodes, the blind leading the blind and pushed to the edge is where they show up. Yeah. Yeah. My next one is <laughs> such a good name. Monkeywe. Oh God. Yeah. Monkeywe pox. Monkey. <laughs> He's a baboon. He's crazy. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he definitely falls into the Sentai tradition of having extra heads and faces in weird places. His entire midsection, his entire abdomen is just, is a, is a baboon face. And then he has a monkey head on top. He looks nuts. Yeah. He's a little unhinged. It's kind of fun. I like it. Mm. There's another one that I originally thought was monkey themed. He's not, but I'll get into that. Yeah. There's one here that I wanted to highlight because it's kind of a, it's kind of a deep cut reference to another genre that we're both a part of. And that's lepus. <laughs> Shout out to our co-host in common. 
Travis Alexander, we are bonded for life over Night of the Lepus. That a, was your first uh, that was your first Kaiju Weekly episode, wasn't it? No, like it was my second, but it was the oh, first one first film that was actually a film discussion. Yeah, film discussion. And uh, no joke, people, I won't get into it too much. Night of the Lepus is literally an early 70s horror, arguably kaiju movie about giant killer rabbits. Blow them to tiny bits. In God thy mercy. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And it has DeForest Kelly from Star Trek in it, which was the big reason I, w- I was even remotely interested in seeing it. Plus, it's, it takes itself so seriously. Oh, it does. It's, inc- it's an incredibly silly premise. Yeah. Taken in- way too seriously. And well, Lepus it- is the Latin word for rabbit. Yeah, it it goes into it, it plays into that trope or tro or trend. Is it tro, is it a trope or a trend in the seventies using like real life animals, but just s- scaling uh, yeah, killer animal movies? What's weird is that if you look Lepus up on the Ranger Wiki, it says that Lepus is is the only female of the Phantom B of the uh, Phantom Beasts, you know, Phantom Beast Warriors. Yeah. They're, they're servants of the phantom beast. It's the, uh, it's the only one who's female and it says she's supposed to be the spirit of the pixie. Oh. I guess they don't just want to come out and say she's a bunny. Yeah. I mean, but she's well, okay. So I can see that, but I, by the way, voiced by Sarah Thompson, that's Fran. I can, I can see that, but at the same time, because she does have like these embellishments on her chest that look like pixie wings or or, or bug wings. Yeah, or, or I see that. But wings. she also has what look like giant ears. With giant, yeah, giant ears. That's what I'm. That's what I was getting ready to say. But on morphinlegacy.com, they're saying that it's the spirit of the rabbit. Yeah, so, I, so I'm a little confused. Maybe I'm a little Pix, confused. Maybe pixie is the Sentai counterpart. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I, I would assume. Maybe, probably. But yeah, uh, voiced by Sarah Thompson. Uh, the lepus it's there's nothing too terribly memorable about it except for the design and uh it's a call it's a kind of a deep a deeper cut reference to another genre that we're a part of so yeah 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 then the next one i have it's also a pair okay but rammer and bad rat <laughs> okay the, they were a duo and they <laughs> one was a rat obviously and the other one let me look him up here rammer i believe he was let me see a goat <laughs> obviously and what what was fun about them is that they had some really interesting abilities most notably they could switch places mm. like there's a point where the rangers are fighting bad rat on top of a building and rammer is fighting the zords as uh, as a giant and then they both get hit around the same time and then they switch places so suddenly bad rat's big and rammer is small and then he's fighting the rangers and they're like what they switched places so that was pretty fun and they had some fun personalities too yeah they, they kind of came across as being a little bit buffoonish but they knew what the heck they were doing mm-hmm is the, they gave the Rangers a run for their money. Yeah. Uh, the next one I'm going to highlight because it came from a, a pretty important focus episode for Lily. Yeah. And you that can was, tell that the monsters in Jungle Fury are pretty impressive. Uh, Porcupongo. 
Porcupunk. Porcupongo. Yeah. yeah, it came from the episode Bad to the Bone. And I, I I'm I really want to highlight it because one, the design is great. Like, let me just say, like some of the designs of these, like a lot of the designs of these monsters, Toei really outdid themselves with some of these. Like these are these are these are really fantastic. And they're actually a lot of them are kind of unsettling. Uh, but Porcupongo came from a pretty important focus episode with Lily. Uh, that's why I wanted to highlight it. Yeah. And actually, I'm double checking here. I was a little bit off. Uh, oh, what? Okay, no, I, I'm not off. Excuse me. But the next one I wanted to highlight another monkey theme. It's a uh, grinder. You remember grinder? I do. Grinder has actually two inspirations. Okay. You, can you tell me what at least one of them is? One uh, of them you should you would probably know. Grinder. Let me find the creature here. Um, yeah, don't cheat. I'm not gonna cheat. I just want to look at the picture. I just want to look at the photo. I don't want to. Um. Uh. I. It looks. Just by judging on its looks, it looks like a flaming monkey. Yeah, but there's a mytholo- there's a pair of mythological connections. Okay, what is it? Uh, the most obvious one is the Monkey Fuck. King, Sun Wukong, or Sun Goku. Oh, the Monkey King. Okay. The Monkey King, and you know that because he has the crazy staff that can get really huge. Mm-hmm. Similar to the monkey, yeah. Similar to the yep. monkey. Okay, so it's the monkey king. In... It's the monkey king from Journey to the West. Yeah, which is one of the most influential pieces of Asian literature. Now, you know, Son Goku. If the most prominent example of a reference to that would be Dragon Ball Z. Mm. You know, Goku. Well, here's the thing that I find kind of funny about Grinder. They made the that was part of the plot of the week where the the they were the villains were trying to get a a cloning formula and they used it on grinder. And then the drawback is that is that, you know, it, whoever uses it gets really itchy. Here's the thing. Making clones of himself is just something that the monkey King does. That's yeah. one of his myriad of superpowers. Yeah. Those are really all what I had. Do you have any more monsters? Nope, in the week? That's all the ones I have. Like I said, the monsters in this show are pretty good. Yeah, there's just a lot of interesting tokusatsu in this. Like so mm-hmm. much, there's so much interesting tokusatsu between uh, the extremely athletic Megazords to the really kind of avant-garde uh, monsters, um, real with like deep historical and mythological connections. Like there's just a lot. There's a there's a lot to really enjoy visually with with the uh, Jungle Fury. So. For sure, for sure. But now we got to get to our trademark thematic discussion. Finally, we're finally here. Like I've been just, I've been chomping at the bit to do, to, 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 to get into our thematics. Yeah. This is one that we, you and I had, a went through several different options. Well, I think it, even, we could it's, do. it started with, it started with, um, even episode one. And then eventually I cannot remember which episode it is. But they literally just spelled it out for us. Oh, uh, confidence. Yeah. We toyed with that because several of the Rangers have to learn about confidence. The Disney brain argued that the theme of the season is learning. Which is close to what really we had. Cl- it's close to what we had. But I never watched the Disney brain videos on a particular season. 
mm-hmm. until I actually finish it because I don't yeah. want to be I, one. I don't want spoilers. Too. You don't want to be swayed. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be swayed. But we arrived at something that is it's in the same zip code, we'll say, as the Disney brain. It's adjacent. It's adjacent for sure. But I think it encompasses everything that all the characters, the heroes and the villains, were learning. Because that's the thing. We try to find themes that are applicable to as many of the characters as possible. Yeah. And that theme would be proving yourself. At least it's not the power of friggin' friendship. (laughs) You are not going to forgive Overdrive for that, are you? At least, yeah, at least it's not the power of friendship. (sighs) But anyway... Proving yourself. When we landed on this, because you know, with the martial arts basis in this, the martial arts motif, there's a lot of training that goes on. The characters are trying to earn new statuses, we'll say. They want to be masters. They want to have respect if you're Dai Shi. They want to have power if you're Dai Shi. Mm. All of these things. And there's always these hierarchies of other people who've already earned these titles and prestige and all of that sort of stuff. And they are imparting training and wisdom to the other characters in some form or another. Now, some of the characters like Daishi are trying to prove themselves in a more, I would say, well, you can make this argument for some of the Rangers too. They're trying to, they're being a little bit more selfish about it. It's because they want power. Mm. Uh, or they just want to have you know the respect for it. But right. they all learn that in order to achieve these things, you have to learn other lessons along right. the way. Right. Both Casey and Theo have to learn to be confident. Mm-hmm. You know, because confidence is a big part of it. If you don't have confidence, then you're not going to have the drive to continue pursuing those goals. Right. But they also have to prove themselves because they have to show we deserve to have the title of master or to have this power or whatever it might be. They have mm. to earn it. That was the thing. I was running it through my head. It's like something about earning, you know, earning titles, earning prestige, earning trust, all of that sort of stuff. Right. And that's why I landed on proving yourself. And sometimes it's not only just proving yourself to others, but proving yourself, well, to yourself, basically. Yeah. You have to you have to do something in order for you yourself to realize I can do this. Mm-hmm. And there's also and there's also that proving your there's also that on the villain side, you know, Dai Shi is trying to prove himself worthy to the overlords, to prove that he is worthy to and also to be, to prove he is and it's not so much with the Phantom Beasts because it the kind of the roles kind of become reversed where Daishi, Yeah, the Phantom Beasts actually just name him the Beast King. But that's it. but at that point he had shown that he was worthy to be the Beast King. Right, but But then there's dissension in the ranks because the, then the Phantom Beasts are like, "Are you sure this is a good idea?" Right, but see here on the flip side of that, Daishi want forces the Phantom Beasts to prove to him that they are worthy to be They loved. are loyal that they are loyal. That's what it is. They are loyal because at that moment, in that moment, the most loyal among them is Camille and Mm -hmm. Camille spends this entire season proving herself, proving her love, proving her loyalty, proving her affection, proving Proving her prowess, proving her prowess, proving her usefulness, proving that she is capable, proving, uh, 
that. She's constantly trying to earn Daishi's love. Right. Which I'm going to tell you right now, if you have to earn someone's love, it's not real love. Mm-hmm. It's not real unconditional love. Yeah. Because it's always going to come on. Con- it's that kind of love is going to come with conditions of, oh, you can you have to prove to me all the time that you are worthy to be loved. No, 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 no. If you truly love somebody, you love them regardless. Right. Right. So th- there's negative examples of this as well right. in the season. But there are certain things that we see in the course of the season that have to be earned. Mm-hmm. You want the prestige of, say, being a master martial artist. You got to work for it. Right. And you have to pass trials. <laughs> you you do these ra- rangers. Do you want your jungle master power ups? Well, you got to prove to us that you can do it. So overcome your worst fear. Mm-hmm. You want the title of master? Defeat the masters. Hey, Casey, you want your stripes? You want to be a master? You got to prove to us that you're not just going to be a follower because a leader can't be a follower. Yeah, and RJ had to. You have to stick to your convictions. RJ had to prove to his dad, Master Finn, that he made the right choice by following his, you know, following his own path and not Mm -hmm. following the path that his father had set out for him. Right. Which is a very common thing for a lot of kids and their parents. Right. I think we've all dealt with it in some form or another where our parents have certain expectations for us as adults, and maybe we don't quite live up to that. Yeah. I was thankful. I'm grateful that I had a pair of really supportive parents that did not, um, (laughs) that did not, uh, get too angry at me when I decided to drop out of, uh, when I decided to drop out of college to pursue an arts degree. Um, so I was from that point on, I was constantly in this mode of, I have to prove that I made the right decision, not just to my parents, but I had to prove it to myself that I made the right decision that I had to prove it to my friends and my other, and my uh, extended family members that I made the right decision uh, because you know, the, the, the conversation would always come Oh, you, you dropped out of college to pursue a fine arts degree. Is that going to pay the bills? Is right. that going to make you successful? Well, if you're our friend, Danny Demana, <laughs> you make a sculpture of Varan, a kaiju, and then you show a picture of it to Akira Takarada and he tries to buy it. That's called validation. That's validate. Yeah. I was all, I was constantly searching for validation and I think. Which is where Fran comes in because Fran is validating a lot of people Mm -hmm. over the course of the season. I think that Fran is like looking back on jungle fury. Fran is one of my favorite characters because she's because like Lily and it's, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit of a different situation. Fran is really intuitive and Fran knows how to kind of speak to the heart of the matter, but in a loving and compassionate way. Mm -hmm. She's, I hesitate to call her this, but she's, she's kind of a motherly influence in this. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it's, it's a similar, it's a, like I said, it's a similar dynamic her, her and RJ's dynamic is, it's very similar to Kruger and cat cat mm-hmm. where RJ allows Fran to speak into his life 
in a way that that gets that gets to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's humble enough to let someone like Fran speak into his life. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and the Rangers have to go on little quests, you know, they, to get the the MacGuffin that lets them get the Rhino Zord. They had to go on a quest. They had to earn that. That's a lot of times what happens with quests. It's you go on this journey, and at the end of the journey, you reap the reward. Mm-hmm. But in order, but you still have to go on the quest, which often entails a lot of very challenging things. That's why the quest story res- resonates with people so much. It's because it's the overcoming of hardship and then reaping the reward at the end that makes it as satisfying as it is. Yeah. Because you feel like the characters have truly earned it at that point. I'm just wondering how I'm just kind of sitting here wondering from your perspective, how Dom fits into this category or fits into this and fits into the thematics. He definitely had to do some learning. I think, you know, Disney brain talked about how he had to learn things. I I don't know if he spent so much time necessarily proving himself as he does just learning. Yeah. Because he didn't really have to prove anything in order to other than just going on the quest and beating the bad guys. Again, I, I just I, I do feel like he was running. He was running from something. Yeah. So he was running from responsibility. He I was running. Say. Yeah, he was running from responsibility, running from his running calling. from purpose. Yeah. So I don't know if that really. I don't know. It's, it feels like almost the antithesis of, of proving yourself, because when you're proving yourself, you're running towards something. Mm hmm. Yeah, so he's kind of an outlier a little bit with this, but I think that's by design. He's very free-spirited. Probably feels like he doesn't really have to prove anything to anybody. Yeah. That would be my take on it. I mean, it's pretty accurate. I was just curious. Although although he was reading To Kill a Mockingbird, which just makes me happy, but I'm the lit nut. (laughs) And it was Fran's recommendation, too. I just didn't know... I just don't think that Dom really fits as neatly into the thematics as the, rest of our, as the rest of our cast does. No, he doesn't. And sometimes, and sometimes um, it's really this, I've noticed that it's a lot of times it will, it is the sixth Ranger that kind of solidifies the thematics of a season like Trent with Dino Thunder. It was legacy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but this thematic discussion is also why I have a little, I have a bit of an issue with that stretch of writer strike affected episodes because it didn't feel like Daishi was proving anything or earning anything. He was just filling power vacuums. That's why it didn't resonate with me. He was just being opportunistic. Mm -hmm. He didn't do anything. He's just like, oh, look, power vacuum. I will fill it. Maybe Even though I is, was already filling it before they showed up. Maybe that is just poor. A lot of that probably is just poor writing decisions. Yeah. During that rushed. During that point. It was rushed. rushed writing decisions. Yeah. It was just there because it was just there because they needed something to fill right. to fill the gap. Right. Right. Yeah. And then in the end. Even though it. The cli- the actual climax is a little bit underwhelming, to say the least. Mm-hmm. The, uh, we get to the end, and they uh, and the, our three rangers have really shown that they are worthy to be 
Paishwa masters. I mean, mm-hmm. at that point, it's again, kind of like Ninja Storm. They're teaching at the school. They're not just students anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and Casey was already teaching martial arts classes to some kids, which was the focus of an episode. And I think that's something when you can prove that you know what you're doing and you know, you once you've earned that level of prestige, then you really should become a teacher. Yeah. You know, uh, imparting that knowledge to others is always a good thing to do so you can continue the tradition. That's why people pursue high-end degrees and you really only do that unless your goal is to teach. Generally speaking. I've had a lot of people tell me to get a PhD. I'm like, can we slow down here a little bit? Okay. I mean, you just got your master's degree. Not to, not that, not, I don't, not that I want you to toot your own horn in this moment because you do that enough. Um, <laughs> bingo, <laughs> the bingo board, <laughs> master's degree. Boop, boop. Yeah, that was on Danny. Was that so on I your, didn't say it. So does it count? Danny, was that on your bingo card for this episode? Uh, I know you keep a bingo card list. Um, uh, especially when Nate is concerned, um, Godzilla, damn it! There you go. There's your another. There's your another bingo card. I was gonna say we got a bingo card for you too. Eh, I don't know what it would. I don't know what would be on it. I can make a list. <laughs> anyway, well, allow me to prove to you that all of Ooh. those assumptions are wrong. Uh, <laughs> but I like the thematics in Jungle Fury. Um, it it it. I feel like honestly, these thematics are things that I, I wish more kid shows talked about more. I think we need yeah. more stuff like this. They do, and if anything is, if if any, if this watch through this journey has told us anything, it's there are some tried and true themes and some tried and true stories that we don't really get a whole lot anymore. No. And I think, honestly, Power Rangers, it's at its best. We've talked about this before when it's not talking down to kids. Yeah. And this Jungle Fury does not talk down to kids. It could have. It could have. Definitely. Yeah. Because it is but a it little didn't. bit. It's a little bit more. It's definitely Disney. It feels very Disney. Um, But it's a little bit more mature than, say, uh, I would say it's it's more mature than 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 Ninja Storm. I know a lot of people love Ninja Storm. But if we're comparing, because there's Ninja Storm and Jungle Fury are very similar. Um, but to me, Ninja, uh, sorry, to me, Jungle Fury feels more mature. For sure. And I, and I like that. I think that's probably why I didn't like, that's probably why I didn't care for Ninja Storm as much is because it was, it was, it was less mature. It was very, it was very, it was much more lighthearted. You know, J- Jungle Fury is lighthearted. But when it really leans into its thematics, it leans into its thematics and it makes and it makes you work. It it it, it earns it, I think. I think Jungle Fury earns it. <laughs> Are you saying this show proved itself? A little well, a little, and this is like metatextual, but it kind of did. Well, because, Disney Brain talked about that. Yeah, it's a little bit metatextual because because it this season is sandwiched between a really terrible season and a really good season. Um, and after the disaster that was operation overdrive, it kind of had it. Jungle fury did have to prove itself. Now you and I talked about how it wasn't necessarily 
it wasn't necessarily that they wanted to do another season. It was because they were contractually obligated to do another season. That's why we got. Jungle yeah. Fury. We'll talk about that more in the next episode. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, jungle fury was supposed to be the end. Yeah. But then they're like, Oh wait, contracts. Yeah. Like, well, I guess we're, we're making one more, but you know, the thing that d- does disappoint me is that apparently the ratings weren't terribly great for, Jungle Fury, which is sad because I do think it's, I do I think, think it's, it, I do think it's really good. I do think the show proved itself, even if not everyone realized it had. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, it's why I. That's why I really do agree with the. That's why I really do agree with. Uh, Jungle Fury being a little bit of a sleeper season because I don't see a lot of people talk about it. But it does have its it does have its fan. It, there is an undercurrent in the Ranger fandom of people who love Jungle Fury. I think uh, our friend, our our Scottish friend, says this is his favorite season. If I'm not mistaken, or at least um, one of them, at least one of their his favorite seasons, um, deservedly so. And I told I, I did tell him in private message. Uh, I said we were going to be very nice to Jungle Fury, and we have been very nice to Jungle Fury. Yeah, even for the most part. Like most I said, part. it is. It is clawing at oh, my top three. It wants to be in there. Yeah. Although that my predicted top three, I should say, because we got one more season. Right. We got one more season, but it wants to be there so bad. It does. It's it's really fighting. It's it's really scratching and clawing for that for that third spot. Definitely. Because and I'm a little bit conflicted. I'm going to I'm, I'm not going to lie. And I said this earlier, but I'm I'm a little conflicted. I don't know how my ranking is actually going to end up at the end of after we're done with RPM because you know, between jungle fury and dino thunder, two very solid seasons. I think what's going to edge one out over the other is just probably a, a pile of small things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, got anything else to add or should we move to the awards? No, I, uh, I enjoyed this a lot more than I ex- not necessarily expected to, because again, I, in- I went, I entered in with an open mind, but, but knowing, but just by judging, by judging the, um, jungle fury on its surface, I was, ex- I was, I expected it to not, I expected it to be less mature than it ended up actually being. And I'm very, I'm happily surprised. I will. I'm, I'm happily hap- I'm, I'm happily surprised by what it gave us. Um, in in the overall like discussion thematics characters um you know character story i had i heard somebody talking the other day uh i was watching a youtube video and they were ta- they were talking about the importance of story and the importance of characters and i think jungle fury is a really good example of the, of how important good characters are uh, in a especially for a kids show right so right and now for the awards right the awards. And so this is the part of the show that we borrowed from our sister, our sister podcast, Henshin Men, um, <laughs> which in, had kind of stolen them from our friends at MVM. Right. And but we ended up just perfecting it. Um, there's the shtick. We have to include the shtick. You know yeah, we have, must keep the shtick. We must keep the shtick running. So anyway, our first award is the Power Range of Motion award that we give to the best stunt or fight scene. And you and I are going to have the same one. So I'm we, are, you, we are. We are. I'm going to let the, you lead this one. Yeah, this is the Casey versus Daishi slash Jared 
fight from the penultimate episode. This is the most emotionally charged fight in Power Rangers since Andrus versus Astronema in Countdown to Destruction. There's a lot going on with this. There's, There's a, a lot going on. It's not just crazy fun special effects and choreography where both of them are showing off all their power ups and you know they're smashing and blowing things up and it's intense Thank and all that. It, it, there's narrative weight in this. It's not just something that looks cool. Thank God the cal explosions were oh good lord down to a minimum. after Operation Overdrive just just Thank God. Oh, just overdid it to say the least. Now they were kept to a little bit more of a minimum, but then when they happen, it's like, okay, that looks cool. You know how people say, and because I've heard this told about like professional wrestling to bring that into the discussion, why not? Uh, or mixed martial arts or, or something like <laughs> or, uh, physical, like contact sports. You're telling a story, uh, vi- telling a visual story without any real like you're just telling a very visual story you're telling a story through visual lens whatever i'm not Mm -hmm. words are hard today um (laughs) it's performance art performance art there we go performance art uh this tells of this this told a really great story this was this was everything that was it it told the story of two of two very capable uh men who had grown in their skills, who had grown um, in now in parallel ways, of course, you know, Jared yeah. being Jared being evil, Casey being the ranger, the good side that had yeah. grown to, to this point. And it's, it's like two, it's like two alphas meeting each other. Like what's, what's going to happen. Yeah. And um, what makes it even more compelling is, you know, and they get to show off their power ups, you know, mm-hmm. jungle master and phantom beast King. And, Casey's there defying Master Mao because he says, I can save Jared. Well, Casey- I can save him. And then Jared, that way with Jared and Daishi, Daishi's like, no, he is mine. And Jared is starting to want to break free, but he can't. Yeah, you know, so there's all of this emotional tension just coming to a head and just bam, and then it just explodes literally and figuratively. And I was just glued to the screen when I got to that. I was even texting you when I was, when this was going on, like, this is my favorite episode. (laughs) The Casey did take a calculated risk by defying master Mal and walking into enemy territory. So it's kind of the opposite of what we've normally been seeing. It's the Rangers invading the villains base of operations. Mm Mm-hmm. Which really, I think, has more thematic weight. Because invading the base of operations from, like, the villains invading the base of operations for our rangers, like, you almost expect that now. But reversing it has more thematic weight because uh, Casey is literally going into the lion's den to pull Jerry. Oh, because you see Casey like literally go into enemy territory, like you just said, to pull Jared out of it, to pull Jared out of that situation. And really, that shows a lot of growth on Casey's part, because the Casey that we met when this season started would not have done that. No, he wouldn't have. Did not possess. He now, we not- get ink. We get hints of it because he does stand up to Jared at the in the first episode. True, but it took, for lack of a better word, balls 
to walk into oh, yeah. to to walk into Daishi's uh, compound and pull and get up. <laughs> and it just makes me think of one of my favorite lines from the MCU. It's from the the first Captain America movie. I don't like bullies. I don't mm-hmm. care where they come from. This is definitely not a neutered Casey. No, no, no. And I honestly, I feel like it was that those last couple of episodes, earning your stripes and especially path of the righteous. I think Casey solidified himself as one of the all time great red Rangers there. I said it. Yeah. So for our next award, the ultra SFX Zord award, Oh my gosh, uh, you said it right. Again, it's two episodes. It's two episodes in a row. I said it right. Uh, the Which is the award we give to the best special effect. Um, I'm going to go ahead. Similar ones. We and have this sim- could have, we could have, li- this could have, as usually happens, this could all, this, a lot of the stuff in this award could also be like a best fight scene award. Could. So I'm going to let you go first again, and then I'm just going to get, I think I might be able to get a little bit more granular. Yeah. yeah, There's not a whole lot to add to because we've discussed it already, but it's the Zord battles. Yeah. The Zord battles, the miniatures are really good. The suits are really nice, but the big thing is not the detailed miniatures. It's not the designs of the suits. It's the fact that these suits are incredibly mobile and these suit actors are doing things that i don't feel like we see often enough in super sentai slash power rangers in terms of the zords yeah the only other time i feel like we've seen something like this was when the ninja storm megazord would do its little power up but only last for a minute yeah but there were points where i was watching it's like this feels like ultraman you know, because typically you would get the zany, crazy action when the when it's just the Rangers when they before they get to the Zords. But in Ultraman, you get that all the time. These Zords can move around well enough on these miniature sets that you can get all the crazy martial arts action. And I, so I'm just going to say it now: some of the best Zord action I have seen in our journey so far through this franchise. Oh, absolutely. I 1000% agree with that. And I'm going to just going to go, I'm going to get a little bit more granular and specific and say it's the, 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 it's the jungle pride Megazord. And we talked a lot about the jungle pride Megazord earlier. So I'm not, there's not going to be much I can expand on in this section, but it's, it's definitely the jungle pride Megazord that stands out the most because of just how nimble and athletic it is. Mm -hmm. And that's something I feel like we don't get to see a whole lot and it, because it creates like having a, having a Zord that athletic or that, that nimble, like the suit actor can actually move in it does allow for some really interesting visuals. It does. And then you, and then you couple that with the marsh, the mixed martial arts thematics or the, yeah, the miss, the mixed martial, the motifs. There you go. The miss, the mixed martial arts motifs and the fact that it doesn't possess you know, conventional weapons, at least conventional in terms of what we've seen thus far. Like we pointed out, it doesn't have a sword. This is like the first Megazord that I've seen in a while. Which is does. weird because you would have expected, the, you know, a martial arts themed Sentai and Power Rangers to have a sword. Yeah. But the SPD Megazord has a sword, which is just, it felt out of place. Yeah. But, you know, but we've already talked about that. Yeah. So, yeah. 
very impressive. I don't know if we're going to see that kind of stuff going forward. And even if they try, I know they start using even more CGI and it's just going to look weird. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I mean, I have high, I have hopes. I have pretty high hopes for the next couple of seasons, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, we have our next award, more phenomenal Mad Libs for the best line. We have different ones. We do have different ones. You want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, This goes back into our thematics, talking about the finale, talking about the path of the righteous. This is when um, this This was in contention for me. This this was the conversation between Casey and Master Mal. This is when Master Mal, or I'm sorry, this is when Casey defies Master Mal. And it's Casey says, uh, no, it's Master Mal. Sorry, Master Mal starts out and says, you know, that Jared's heart wasn't pure. Casey fought and then Casey responds, or maybe he was just, maybe he was so alone. There was nothing pure to fill his heart with. So that speaks to, that speaks to the growth and a little, and the, and that leadership mentality, that leadership uh, empathy that Casey has grown into. Um, and this leads us into some really, this leads into, this is part of a really fantastic episode. And we just talked about the battle. They're really emotional battle between Daishi and uh, Casey that came after this conversation. And right. Casey and Casey ends up proving master Mal wrong and proving right. and by leaning into his intuition, by leaning into um, what he knows to be true, but it's true to him. He knows it to be true, but it's not, you just definitely, you can't see it. It's, it's essentially blind faith that Casey is going by. Right. And I think it also speaks to, you know, to you know, a really deep philosophical discussion about you know, if, if a heart is empty, it can still be filled. There's hope mm. for it. Yeah. So it's, so Casey's saying, Jared's heart's not filled with bad things. It's empty. Yeah. It can still be filled with good things. Yeah. And it's a wonderful line. But a lot of times that's what ends up happening is people, if they feel alone, they cut themselves off from from others. They're very, they block everything off. And so there's nothing to fill their empty hearts with. So, again... Jungle Fury continuing to prove that it's a surprisingly good season. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that episode is so good. <laughs> so since we did have a different award, what is your uh, more phenomenal Mad Lib award? This was one of the most, I felt like one of the most profound things. This goes back to an early episode. And this was the moment when I realized, okay, RJ is uh, is quirky and unorthodox, but... He's Mr. Miyagi brilliant. So he's training all three of the Rangers and Theo is pointing out that Casey's just not up to snuff that him and Lily are better than he is, but RJ still won't just, you know, teach Lily and Theo some things and not Casey because Casey's not up to snuff. Yeah. You know, but the other two are. And when they're like, well, why not? And he says, a team is a lot like a stool. Three, uh, You three are the legs, all equal. What happens if the parts aren't equal? Then he kicks one of the legs on the stool, which Theo was sitting on. <laughs> and then it falls over and he says, that's right. The team falls apart uh, on its, bu- the, oh, 
the team falls on its butt. If the team's not ready, none of you are ready. Oh, like, <laughs> ow. <laughs> oh. Oh, so profound from it is really profound. So it's like, guess what? Until all of you are ready, none of you get anything. <laughs> Could, We're not playing know, favorites here. We got it. Do you recall who wrote that particular episode? I was just going to say, and the reason I asked that is, is kudos to the writing team for, uh, for that episode, for making like, for making some of, for making what could have been a really ridiculously silly character become so profound. The longer we, the longer we stayed with him in RJ, I'm talking about RJ. Like, like our, like on paper, RJ, this granola loving hippie, uh, you know, animal rights activist person, like, eh, it's okay. It could be, it could be, especially for a kid show could be pretty insufferable, but kudos to the writing team for making RJ probably our favorite character from this, from this series. Like I would really like, again, kudos to the writing team. And I would love to know who I can't remember. Um, Nathan, it was Jackie Marchand. It was from uh, that one was from welcome to the jungle. It was like super early on. Okay. So it was super early on. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I was, of course it would be Jackie Marchand. Yeah. Yeah. So kudos to the writing team and, and for, for making what could have been. Oh, we forgot to mention the Paishwa's order of the claw. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oops. It just sounds really cool. Whoops. But yeah. anyway, yeah, so that that's some stellar writing right there. Mm. Yeah. Stellar writing. And as for the and let me look that up. So Path of the Righteous, let me look up who wrote that one since we've been talking a lot about that. Mm. That was Do- John Telligen. That was one of the other head writers on here. Mm. Gotcha. So there you go. And then we get to I I I can't believe that happened for the craziest moment. What's yours? Because I don't see that. I'm going to go. I'm going to go ahead. I've got one. I didn't write it down, but I've got one. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say. Casey getting the balls to walk right into the uh, right into Daishi's lair. We're just pouring on the praise on that episode. aren't we? I love that episode. I love that episode. It is one of my favorite episodes, not just of this season, but it's one of my favorite episodes of Power Rangers so far. I would agree with you there. It's uh, it's a huge high point. <sighs> Mine. We got to talk about the finale here a little bit. Yeah, we haven't really we've danced. We've danced around the finale, but or we've uh, OK, kung fu, we've kung fu shuffled around the finale a little bit, but we've never uh, talked about it. OK. <sighs> the penultimate episode with Path of the Righteous is so dang good. Uh-huh. And I went into the finale because you told me you finished it before I did. You told me it sticks the landing, but it tries to rush a lot of things in. I'm like, okay. I now, just said admittedly, just Power of the said, Righteous, there was a all, lot happening in it, but I all wasn't. All I said to you was it stuck the landing. I didn't give you any indication okay. about, about anything like that. Well, Path of, there was a lot going on in Path of the Righteous, but it didn't feel overstuffed or rushed. Then we get to... The final episode, which is called Now the Final Fury, which not a bad title. And it was ramping things up very nicely because mm-hmm. Jared and Camille 
Oh, Jared was freed from Daishi in the previous episode. So Daishi's operating on his own. He's amassing a, an army for a final strike. And the progression of it does feel very nice. So mm. he's sending the last of the Phantom Beasts to wreak havoc. Right. Summons a bunch of the Rinchi. They run havoc. They take care of that. And then he bring, he resurrects a bunch of monsters from the uh, from the season. And then they start going at it. And, and then... Yeah, and then the spirit masters show up, and then everyone. So it just turns into this gigantic brawl with like eight rangers and three of the masters, and they're going insane. And then they, the masters, all turn into their animal forms. So let's look about as sentai as you could get for you know thirty seconds. So they're just going nuts. Right. Then Daishi shows up, and he decides, you know what? I need to turn into Orochi, the eight-headed dragon which is an actual Japanese mythological figure. Look it up. <laughs> it also looks a bit like Kaiser Ghidorah from Godzilla Final Wars. Yes, and so, so then he does that. So like, crap, we have to fight him. Get the swords. He try, the swords try to fight him, and he just mops the floor with the swords. So everything just continues to ramp up and ramp up and ramp up and ramp up and ramp up. And I was with it. I was totally with it. It was like, bam, bam, bam. It just keeps escalating and escalating and escalating. And then it ends with a giant Hadouken. I'm like, really? For those who don't know, if you've played Street Fighter, it can in Ryu, when they throw those little blue fireballs, those are called Hadoukens. And I'm just like, really? All this buildup and the way it ends is Jared flies into... Daishi, and he says, I've weakened him enough, you can destroy him. And then our three main rangers just unmorph and tap it to their Paishwab Master Chi or something, I don't know, and, you know, do some funny little martial arts, like yoga, Tai Chi moves, and then combine their power into a fireball and shoot it at Daishi, and he explodes. It's not, I will admit, it's not as impactful as the finale to Ninja Storm. Yeah, where it felt really earned. Where it felt really earned, yeah. It, yeah, it, and I'm well, like, okay, I get it. They wouldn't have been able to do this at the beginning of the season. But I'm still just sitting here going like, that's it? All this ramping up and you one-shot him? It feels a With little... With a Hadouken. It Hadouken! Feels a it feels a little anticlimactic. I will a admit. little. Well, it feels very anticlimactic. Yeah, it does. It does. And for me, that kind of wrecked everything. Not well, maybe not. It's it's just, it's all this build up to you know it to to a bit of disappointment. Mm. I would have liked more. It, it didn't the payoff didn't feel like it was worth the buildup is basically what I'm saying. All of these bangs and it ends with a whimper. Yeah. Now, after that, with the denouement where they wrap everything up and show you what happens to all the characters and things like that, that was fine. It's just that moment, which that was the linchpin for this finale. And I felt like they dropped the ball. Yeah. A bit there. It could have been one of the best Ranger finales, especially if you pair it up with Path of the Righteous. It could have gone down as one of the greats for me anyway. And instead, it's not. Mm. How did you feel about it? Uh, it felt rushed. 
it felt like it was trying to cram a lot into that one episode. And I'm, and I'm really interested to know, I'm really interested to watch the, um, the, 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 the Sentai finale, because I feel like we watch, I feel like that is the sin, the, the finale to the Sentai, but I don't know. It, like the one, like the one shot, like I get it. Like it feels like to say it's unearned to say that the Rangers didn't earn that is, I feel like is a slight is, is, is it sounds it's not that it was unearned. It just it, didn't it, seem worth it after all that buildup. Right. It just didn't, it doesn't seem fair to say it that way. Um, because they did earn those powers. They did earn their master powers, their pie, their pie schwa powers, whatever. Um, but I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just the fact that we were, I was expecting more, I don't know, fireworks for lack of a better way to, for lack of a better way to put it. At least something a little bit more exciting. Yeah. A little bit more epic. Like it, yeah. to make it really feel like a finale. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's just our take on it. If you have, feel free to disagree with us and let us know. Send us feedback and tell us. Well, I was going to say, that's not really what this season was about, though. It was about them as as rangers, as civilians, as trainees, you know, finding enough confidence in themselves and proving that proving that they can do it. No Zords, no Zords, no special powers, no nothing like really proving that they had the chops to do this themselves. And I think that's where that's coming from. Right. All right. Well, guess what, Michael? It's morphin' time. And this is the part of the show where we, in 60 seconds or less, uh, uh, summarize everything that we felt about the particular season that we're discussing. So, Nathan. Our final thoughts. Our final thoughts that we totally didn't steal from our friends at the Drift Space. (laughs) Right. Right. Except we gave ourselves 10 extra. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. They do fanboy 50. We do the far, the, the far superior Morphin time 60. Wow. Wow. Keep this up. Jack won't show up on the show. <laughs> but <laughs> Yes, he will, because his ego won't allow him to set out of that one. Wow. Wow. Anyway, on your mark, <laughs> get set, go. Final thoughts on Jungle Fury. Final thoughts on Jungle Fury. Uh, I really like this one. Like I was, I was pleasantly surprised by how much I liked. Was it this as one. big as of, of a surprise as SPD? Uh, for me, it wasn't quite as big of a surprise. It was not quite as big a surprise. I think, I think SPD was a good primer for this, and I and I say that because um, I know what this era of Power Rangers can do with SPD, and I was expecting how much people love Jungle Fury for this to be at least decent. Right. Right. And uh, is it underappreciated, underrated? I would have to agree. Yeah. Yes. It very much is. It's overshadowed by a bad season and a good season getting sandwiched between them. But if you haven't seen jungle fury, I highly recommend it. And like we've been hinting at Mm. it wants really bad to get into my top three, but you know, we'll see what happens and time. Mm hmm. All right, Nathan. Well, that closes the jungle book on Power Rangers Jungle Fury. Uh, care to tell our listeners with attitude what they're going to be, what we're going to be discussing next time? 
oh boy, I've been looking forward to this. <laughs> As he rubs his hands together. Yes. Yes, quite. <laughs> I've been chomping at the bit for this. Mm-hmm. I'm trying not to go in too hyped about it. I don't right. want that disappointment. Right. But I've heard nothing but good about this, including from our guest. We're, we got another guest coming up for you next time. My friend Chris Cook from One Cross Radio. We're going to be talking about what many consider to be one of the best of the Power Rangers seasons. Power Rangers RPM, the end of the Disney era. Well, the official end of the Disney era. We'll get into that in a future bonus episode, future lightning round. Yeah. I, uh, I'm going into this excited and I really want to love it. You've seen it before. You didn't care for it quite as much, which has led to me giving you lots of grief about it. Well, let me just, let me just say this. Let me just say this. I didn't care for it because I think I died. I think I watched the show too quickly because I watched RPM when it was still on Netflix two years ago. And I watched it in a hurry trying to just get through it because as I've talked about before, I asked, I asked what season should I binge before it goes away? Because I didn't know if I was going to be able to get my hands of the physical copies. Um, so I did watch RPM a little bit quick. Um, I remember not caring for it all that much. Um, because of, I think how, I think I didn't care for it because of how different it was. Now I'm going into RPM this time have seen it before, but I'm going to try to go into it with, with a, with a fresh perspective. Cause I think, I think our discussions like throughout these 16, 17 episodes that we've had together has changed my perspective a lot on, on this franchise. Yeah. I just, the thing I'm most curious about is I've heard that this is the, probably the darkest of any of the power Rangers shows. In fact, I've heard some people say it's the closest we've ever gotten to a PG-13 Power Rangers. I mean, Time Force was pretty dark. Uh, Time Force is pretty dark, too. But but I'm also... What I'm trying to figure out is how it's apparently incredibly dark, but also humorously self-aware. I was like, how do you do that? That takes some exceptional skill to do that. that. And that is something I'm a little bit scared of, too, because I don't like it when a show makes fun of itself. If it does it in the appropriate ways, in the appropriate moments, sure. But I mean, that's what I'm Ninja a little Storm. bit scared of. Well, Ninja, Sco- Ninja Storm, yes. But Ninja Storm, Ninja Storm set out to be more of a lighthearted, funnier show. With RPM, it's much more serious, much, much more, much more dark, like we were saying. And, but it does have those very self-aware moments. So it'll be interesting when, when I go back to refresh my memory on, uh, on RPM, how my mind maybe shifts from when I watched it before yeah. to, to now. Yeah, well, and also keep in mind, you're going to be dealing with Chris Cook, who loves that season. It's his favorite. Right. So, but I'm not going, I'm <laughs> not going to get going some serious it. pushback. I'm not going to go into it. I'm not going to go into it, liking it just for the sake of liking it and going Obviously, along. If I don't, yeah. if I don't like it, I'm going to tell you guys, I don't like it. Right. Um, We'll see. I hope I hope I can have my mind changed by the time we get right. to that episode. Right. And just because this is related to our show. But as of this recording, 
The Power Rangers audio drama by Carl Dutton just had a second bonus episode drop a little bit earlier this week. A flash forward written and edited by Joey Solis, who voices Tommy Oliver on that show. And it was Dino Thunder themed. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend checking it out. It's pretty good. It's a very good episode. I listened to it this morning. Right. And today, season three starts, baby. So you get to hear more of me as Rito. <laughs> we, I think, if I remember correctly, we have actually helped people discover the audio drama because we've been such big fans of it for 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 a long time now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just big fans of what Carl's been able to do. And um, yeah, so yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing that pilot episode for season three. And mm-hmm. yeah, hopefully, hopefully it'll be good stuff. Uh, we've been doing some um, post show commentary along with Carl mm-hmm. and some of the other. Yeah, we are we are the official hosts of the after show. The after show, yeah. So it's Patreon like, only, people. Yeah, so it's it's like if you guys are familiar with like the Talking Dead format with The Walking Dead, where they do an after show after each episode, it's kind of like that where we just talk about it and in a spoiler free discussion or a, I'm sorry, a spoiler filled discussion. So, uh, I highly recommend go listen. If you're a Patreon, if you're not a Patreon member, cause we're both Patreon, we're both patrons of that show. Uh, if you're not a patron, go be a patron. Cause what Carl and his team is able to do is fantastic. Um, if you're not a patron, but you're still on the fence about it, go listen to go listen, go listen to the audio drama. It's, it's great. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. So let's wrap that up so we can be ready to listen to the premiere on YouTube. In the meantime, listeners with attitude, may you too find your inner animal spirits. And may you always pursue the path of the righteous. And may the power protect you. Thank you for listening to The Power Trip, a podcast produced and hosted by Michael Hamilton and Nathan Marchant. If you'd like to send us feedback, email us at powertrippod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at thepowertrippod, and join our official Facebook group, Power Rangers Legacy. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other great podcasters. The podcast logo was designed by Rebecca Hudgens. Follow her on Instagram at super underscore r underscore illustrations. Our theme songs are from the album Power of the Grid by Neil Stenson. We also use Galaxy Quest Instrumental by Heaven Wraith from the OC Remix album Jet Force Gemini Mizar Attacks. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended or implied. The Power Trip has no association with Saban Entertainment or Hasbro. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. And until next time, see ya! This podcast is part of the Kaiju Ramen Podcasting Network and is copyright 2022 Kaiju Ramen Media, LLC.